This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Three minutes past six. It's Monday, it's cold. It's cold, but there was no ice on my car. How does that work? Hope you had a good weekend. We went to see Father Christmas at, uh, where is it, the Willows Farm. It was excellent. Excellent. It's a bit expensive. Uh, but you're not allowed to take your own photo. As soon as th- there was a move for, uh, uh, put my hand in my pocket to take out my phone to take a picture, it was like I was withdrawing a gun. Freeze! No one, you, no, you, we take the pictures here, you buy them. Just a quick one on the phone, no, no, no. We're not allowed to take a picture of Father Christmas on your own phone. So, of course, you then go out and the kids are like, oh, can we have the picture? Well, it's, it's £20. Well, but we got our own back on Father Christmas. We cheated Father Christmas. Oh, the, the excellent thing about Willows is, and it is great there, by the way, it's, it's one of the better Father Christmases. I say the better ones. It's, it's one of the better places that he visits, of course. Uh, is you then get to go into, like, a little toy shop, and Father Christmas gives you a magic key. You put the key in the lock, you enter the toy shop, and you're allowed to take one toy each. So we found this kind of what looked like a big uh, pickup truck, and we said to our boy, "Go take this. He wasn't sure. We said, no, 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 take this. We think this is good. So we got it, and in the car we opened it. It wasn't one pickup truck and one car. It was eight boxes of pickup trucks and cars. So what they'd obviously forgotten to do was open the big main box and separate them. We looked on eBay, we looked on Amazon. That's about 60 quid's worth of stuff. We, we're totally in profit. In your face, Father Christmas, and your no-photograph rule, we'll teach you a lesson or two. Still very, very exciting to see Father Christmas. And the first time my eldest boy hasn't laughed, uh, cried. Sorry. All he did was stick his tongue out at him. He does that when he gets nervous. He puts his tongue out a little bit like that. I'm, I'm acting it. You can't see it. That's what he did. Very exciting. If you saw Father Christmas this weekend, how cool was that? Lots coming up on the show this morning, including... Hospitals could be breaking the law if they charge disabled drivers to park. Here's something I can't get my head around. I don't know what the answer is on this or what I feel on this. Should disabled drivers get free parking? The two DJs who made a prank call to the Duchess of Cambridge's hospital have given unpaid interviews to Australia's main TV networks. Find out what they said later on in the show. And how important is it to learn history in school? Some schools are now dropping it all together, which seems crazy in my mind. I think history is wonderful, it's fantastic, it's exciting. It's all horrible murders, nasty deaths, weird diseases. It's brilliant. If you want to get in touch, lots of ways. You can email... 3cr at bbc.co.uk You can send us a text 81333, start your text 3CR or you can give us a call 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio Now here's a question and I don't know the answer to this I don't know what I think on this Do you think that disabled people should have a right to free car parking outside hospitals? 37 NHS trusts, including the Luton and Dunstable and the Lister in Stevenage, charge disabled drivers regardless of where they park. Disability rights lawyer Chris Fry says they could be in breach of the law, and we'll speak to him after 7 o'clock. But this is what some people outside the L&D hospital think. You have to pay here, don't you, the disabled? Do you think that's right, that you have to pay? No. I think it should be refunded. Last year, my daughter paid £100 because I've been in and out of the hospital. Under the car park. Can you? Is there no way of getting that money back? You can have a concession of four pounds for 24 hours, but if someone's in hospital for two or three weeks, it, it soon adds up. It's not well advertised either that there are concessions. We should, we should have to pay something, but not not the hourly rates that they do. No, well, I've got a disabled badge in there. 
You've got a disabled badge and you still have to pay. Yep. And what do you think about that? I don't like it at all. <laughs> Can't repeat it, I don't think. <laughs> not no. repeatable. No, not repeatable. Disabled people are able to claim extra benefit to help compensate with the extra costs they may, may need for getting out and about. And as everyone is finding things economically very difficult now, I suppose we all have to uh, accept extra costs. I've got a special card, haven't I? Disabled badge. Does it seem right that you have to pay? No. And I mean, there's lots of people worse off than me and probably driving themselves, which makes it um, harder, I think. No, I think they take too much... um, for everything, whether you're disabled or not. So what do you think about having to pay for your mum? Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's hard for anyway because, as you see, with a walking stick and everything, especially when it was snowing and, and the ground was slightly icy, um, we couldn't get parked in here, so we had to park right. in the further car park, which is quite away from the hospital, really, and, uh, and it was quite a struggle for you to walk yeah. to oh, the hospital, have a wasn't walker. it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there should be some free disabled parking around a hospital that's very close for people with disabilities that can uh, enter and exit a hospital um, readily and easily. Yeah, and we're just going to pick my husband up and he's on a Zimmer frame so it's even worse you know. <laughs> Tony Fisher there speaking to some people outside the L&D hospital well Douglas Campbell is an independent consulting uh, consultant on driving and disability from Milton Keynes. Morning Douglas Morning Ian. Should disabled people park for free? No Thanks, oh. very, mu- thanks very much for coming on <laughs> uh, why, why, do you th- why do you think yeah. not? I think there are, two, there are two issues getting horribly confused here Yeah. The first one is the ability to pay mm. And that should be no more, no different for disabled people to anyone else. That if there are, there should be concessions for people who can't afford it, who are on means-tested benefits, that should apply whether you're a single parent, a disabled person, someone on a pension. If there, there should be, and I think there are generally are rules to allow it. The problem with them is they're very complex, mm. and quite often they're so difficult to apply because you've got to go somewhere and get a refund and things that it probably isn't worth the aggravation. But there is a bigger issue, and that is the one that it takes many disabled people longer. And I think one of the problems, and I was listening to an item on this on Radio 5 Live last night, they kept talking about people in wheelchairs, but actually people like myself in a wheelchair are the better off ones. It's the people who, like some of the people you spoke to the other day, people who walk with a walker, walk mm. sticks, who are very slow-moving, who frankly, take a lot of extra time. Now, given that most of this parking is based on how long you stay, you know, it would be reasonable to make an adjustment to say, instead of allowing perhaps, I mean, some hospitals allow 20 minutes free or something like that, if you're disabled, then that should be perhaps increased to two, two and a half hours free to allow you the extra time. Because if you get it wrong, there are lots of downsides. Disabled people may not get the health care they need, but even worse economically, they may become more dependent either on outpatient transport, which costs the taxpayer an awful lot of money, or things like community transport, which, as we all know, I don't think anywhere is community transport got surplus capacity, and, of course, it's heavily subsidised. A lady, someone in the, that package there mentioned the fact that disabled people do get benefits, and they do, but the things like the d- disability living allowance and things like that are being cut, aren't they? Well, more to the point, they're already be, they're being spent on things like, I mean, 
in many cases, the whole of someone's high rate mobility components of disability living and out will be used to lease a car so that they can actually get to the hospital. Mm. You know, and, for example, public transport. For many disabled people, even if the buses are accessible, the bus probably stops too far from the hospital entrance for it to be a viable journey, especially in bad weather. Um, and the fact is that hospitals are public bodies. Parliament decided in its wisdom that public bodies had a higher standard to perform to than private car park operators and shopping centres, not just to make provision for disabled people, but to actually make adjustments to support their welfare. You know, and that means, frankly, reflecting that it takes people longer. Douglas, listen, we have to end it there. Douglas Campbell, thank you very much indeed. Well, what do you think, dear listener? Should disabled people get free parking? It's really starting to feel like Christmas now, isn't it? We saw Father Christmas at the weekend. Magic is happening. The tree is up, it's decorated. Don't try and get three-year-olds to decorate a Christmas tree. It's a flipping nightmare. Throwing baubles at his younger brother. I'm not convinced that's... I'm not convinced that's how we do it around here. We're going to be talking about those Australian DJs. Those ones, yes. Am I the only person that's now starting to feel... A little bit sorry for the DJs. It's a terrible turn of events. We'll discuss it after this. Well, someone uh, won the X Factor and someone didn't. Beyond that, I can't give you any information, I'm afraid, as I didn't watch any of it. Now, the head of the Australian radio company at the centre of the prank hospital phone call says the station tried to contact the nurses involved at least five times to seek permission to use the taped conversation. One of the nurses, Jacinta Saldana, who unwittingly took the original phone call from the radio station, was found dead on Friday. The radio station says it's now reviewing procedures following the death, but that it could not have foreseen uh, the circumstances. Rhys Holleran, the head of the company that owns Two Day FM, told another radio station in Australia that the show had tried to get approval to air the pre-recorded broadcast. We rang them up to discuss uh, what we had what we had recorded. We attempted to contact them on, on no less than... So did you have some reservations at some level somewhere about putting it to air? I think that, that, that that's, that's, a, that's a process that, that we follow and we have um, uh, checks and balances on all these things. The station's parent company met yesterday to discuss a highly critical letter from the King, King Edward VII Hospital in London, which is where the Duchess of Cambridge was being treated. The station's chairman, Max Moore Wilton, told the hospital it'll cooperate with any investigation. In spite of the alleged attempts to gain permission, our correspondent, Duncan Kennedy in Sydney, says laws in Australia may have been broken by airing the conversation. Firstly, uh, the Surveillance Act in Australia says that you can't record a conversation without the other person's consent. So you can record, but you must get consent. And then there's separately, you must get permission to broadcast that interview. And it doesn't seem they've got either of those permissions in this case. In an earlier statement, Mr Holleran said that his lawyers say that they didn't break any laws. Well, an inquest into Mrs Saldana's apparent suicide is due to be opened in the next few days. She had answered the presenter's call and, believing they were members of the royal family, put them through to another nurse who described Kate's condition in detail. Nurse Saldana's family are said to be devastated. Father Tom Finnegan is from the church in Bristol, which her family attend. The whole um, events of the last few days have have really knocked everybody. Um, And everybody, you know, trying to... um, see what they can do just to, to, to help the family and essentially what the majority of us can do is just pray um, for them at this time.
Meanwhile, the two DJs at the centre of the tragedy have given unpaid interviews to Australia's main TV networks to be broadcast in a few hours' time. Channel 9 says it spoke to Mel Gregg and Michael Christian for a couple of hours about the call and its aftermath in what it describes as a raw and emotional interview. It's due to be broadcast at half past seven this morning, UK time. The two DJs haven't been on air since news broke of the nurse's death. Now, this is such a terrible, tragic turn of events, isn't it? We were talking about this the other day, and I dismissed the prank call. And then I was thinking about it over the weekend. Actually, I've done loads of them. I've done loads of them and got in quite a bit of trouble for it. Nothing as serious as this, of course. Uh, but part of me, I, I, feel, I feel a little bit sorry for these DJs because they would never, would never have wanted this to have been the outcome. And you can't speculate as to what happened in, in that young lady's uh, world. I, I would imagine that there are... Uh, I'm about to speculate now. I would imagine there are other uh, things at play in her life. Uh, and whatever the reason, it's very sad. Of course it's sad when, when uh, someone takes their own life uh, in that way. But there's now a witch hunt for these two DJs. All they did was was phone up. They shouldn't have done it. They should, you shouldn't phone up a hospital and, and do a prank call. You shouldn't, you know, try and get access to a sick woman. Of course you shouldn't. But... But I feel a bit sorry for them. Do you? Am I, am I alone in feeling a bit sorry for these DJs? I could be. I might be going completely out on a limb here. Could you give us a call? OK, so uh, I'm kind of toying with growing a beard. I'm toying with growing a beard. It's only day... I think it's like day six or seven, right? And a picture has been put on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. A picture has been put on Facebook. And on Facebook, on Twitter, you're mocking it. Going, well, someone said it looks like you've got a dirty face. No, it's only day six. And the picture was taken using the flash, which has bleached it out a bit. So I'm demanding that the uh, Ian Lee Show um, social media team come back downstairs immediately and take a photo sans flash. It looks better without the flash, all right? Jeez, you guys. They're prompt. They're very, very prompt. The social media team has been down. They've set up the lights and equipment uh, and taken the picture sans flash. Facebook.com. I know, there's more important things going on in the world in my beard, but my ego will not allow this to to lie. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR or at BBC3CR on the Twitter. Go and have a look. The picture will be up there in approximately 45 seconds. Have a look at it without the flash. That's a little bit more manly. While we're waiting for that to be uploaded, let's get the latest news in sport with Catherine Boyle. In f- cricket, finally, England won the third test by seven wickets in Calcutta to go 2-1 up in the series. That's your latest news in sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Catherine, yeah. question that's been bothering me all weekend. All right. Calcutta, is that what we used to call Calcutta? Calcutta, yeah. Thanks very much. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Uh, Coming up in the show, find out why so many bicycles are being stolen at Luton train station. Our reporter Gareth Lloyd is there. It's not him stealing them. He's there to... He might catch someone stealing one. You never know. And how important is it to learn history? Some schools, and I find this amazing, have stopped teaching history altogether. We're also asking this morning, a couple of questions so far. Uh, do you feel sorry for those Australian DJs now, caught up in this, this horrendous mess? And also, should disabled people get free parking at hospitals? Uh, Johnny in Wiltshire has uh, texted in, I uh, know on the Facebook, I think, actually, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Most hospitals charge for parking, but if you can or want to walk a few extra minutes, there are places for free almost everywhere. 
And Paul Wood says, I actually think no one should have to pay to park at any hospital. I've always thought the NHS f- was free at the point of use. Yeah, in your dreams, Paul. In about 1977, if you've ever parked in a hospital, A, there are hardly any spaces at all. And B, it's well expensive. So expensive. Just the way you are. He's tiny, Bruno Mars, isn't he? And when you smile. You could put him in your pocket and no one would notice. You, you could. I just checked during that song. He's four foot nine. Four foot nine, Bruno Mars. Well, I hope he has a lovely Christmas. On top of the tree. No, no. Now, you may be reluctant to park your bicycle at the train station because you'll fear it'll be stolen. Well, the likelihood of that likelihood of that happening depends on where you are in the three counties. There have been twice as many bike thefts at Luton's train station over the past two years than in the same period before that. Eh? In St Albans, the number of bikes stolen has fallen in the same time. Well, we've sent our reporter, Gareth Lloyd, to the station. Now, morning, Gareth. Morning, Ian. Yes, thanks very much. And how can this be that numbers here in Luton of bike thefts, uh, damage to bikes and, and thefts from bikes going up, uh, yet uh, just down the road in St Albans, uh, the, the same but happening opposite way around, numbers falling of thefts, damage and, and stealing of bikes. I'm, I'm with uh, Malcolm Green here, who's uh, uh, you've biked this morning from the other side of town uh, and about to get on a, a train to London, so so you, you park your bike here, you, you put it in the, the bike lock and uh, and you get on the train into the, into the capital. Uh, at the moment, where, where is your bike? I can't see it. It's actually in the bike rack uh, by the front of the train station, so in, in plain view of, of everyone, really. Uh, let's go back a, a while ago. Your bike was stolen. You are one of these figures from uh, from the numbers we've got. Indeed I am. Uh, I parked my bike in a normal uh, place and went to work as normal. And unfortunately, that evening, I wasn't able to cycle back because uh, I was back very late, so the bike stayed there overnight and then we had some very bad weather so it was uh, very snowy so I left it there came to it the next day and lo and behold there was a track going from my bike where someone had uh, snipped through the cables I had two locks on there and uh, had walked off with it and when you say locks I mean there's a, a varying degree of lock isn't there indeed there, there is uh, the locks I had at the time were probably about one inch cable locks so uh, steel cable uh, going through the front wheel back wheel and locked onto the frame itself through the bike rack and, and was this caught on CCTV was, was anything seen or done well funnily enough when I actually reported to the police they said they'd look into it and and they did and they said great we can see your bike on CCTV the problem was it was snow that caused the problem and uh, it covered the lens so we couldn't actually see anything when my bike was actually stolen have you seen any changes happen to the the, the bike shed since uh, your theft no not at all not at all and uh, do you think that, that I mean the numbers say it but do, do you think it's still rife here that bikes are the the increase of numbers of bikes being stolen is is going up here? It certainly feels that way. I mean, only last week I, I arrived back to the station. Thank goodness my bike was okay. But someone was standing there forlorn with their bike locks in their hand on the phone to the police with their bike being stolen. That was literally a, a, a few last, days ago. Few, last week, yes. Uh, what improvements could be made here? I mean, we're standing at the, the new front side of, of Luton Station in the town, and, and it's certainly changed since I've been here. A new uh, drop off centre and, and, and beautifully paved. But uh, down at the bike sheds? Um, I'm not sure what can be done. I mean, they, they are kind of in plain view. Maybe they could move them so they're closer to the taxi ranks, so there's more people around, but it's very difficult. 
seems though that uh, maybe Luton train station a, a, an easy target? Certainly seems that way. I mean, I've ended up spending £130 in locks just to make sure that my bike is here when I get back from work in the, in the evening. Malcolm, thank you very much for joining us this morning. There. Malcolm Green there, who has, uh, is one of the numbers we're, we're looking at this morning, one of the bikes being stolen here. Numbers in Luton of bikes being stolen or thefts from bikes or damage to bikes going up, yet down the road on the same line in St Albans, the numbers are, are going down, Ian. Gareth, can I just say, you've come up with the most genius line that I'm going to use from now on. Yeah? Well, you, you're saying that the, crime, the crimes are going up in, in the Luton station, and they're going down at St Albans station, OK? That yeah. was the, what you took away. Yep. And your way to do that was the same happening in the opposite. It's brilliant. <laughs> you knew exactly what I was thinking. I did know exactly what you were thinking. <laughs> the same happening the opposite way around. Gareth Lloyd, it turns out you are absolutely a genius. Are you, are you a cyclist, Gareth? Uh, me? Yeah. You've seen my thighs. Oh, uh, you made me touch your thighs. And you're impressed. I was, well, no, I was uh, uh, out of fear. This is absolutely true. Gareth Lloyd, wand- we sit on opposite ends of the, the office for good reasons. reasons. Uh, he wandered over to me. I can't remember why we're having this conversation when touch my thighs. I, went, I really, I, you know, with, with all the scandals that are going on at the moment i'd rather not a number of people in the office encouraged you to do it didn't yeah they, they did the, the women and i did and you've got thighs like lead lloyd mm-hmm. and the rest of me yeah well, and with that we cut him off let's i, I don't want to uh, get embroiled in that Let, honestly he made me touch them and they were they were hideous absolutely hideous oh wait four five nine four double five five double five if you want to give us a call um on disability and parking for free we're asking this morning should disabled people be able to park for free in hospitals Emma's emailed him. The reason for qualifying for a disability badge is judged on the medical condition of the individual. It's not based on the ability to pay. So, oh dear, put up and shut up. Unless you're on benefit, why should we all have to pay for a millionaire or a company director to park? They get spaces which are near to the entrance of a shop or hospital entrance, and that is the main and only criteria that they should have. Um, a text on the parking. Uh, oh, and the, the DJs, look at this, you're ticking both boxes, and thank you. I thought disabled parking is to get people as close as possible to their destination. They should pay at a reduced rate. At least they don't have to go round in circles hunting for a space. So it, it, it would turn out that most of you, and I'm surprised by this, most of you are against disabled people getting free parking. Part, uh, part of me thinks, but... Their disabled benefits, the, the the disability living allowance and a couple of other benefits whose names I es- escape me, they're either being scrapped altogether or cut back. And you have to remember that quite a few disabled people, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but quite a few, a significant number, are unable to work because of their disability. So they're dependent on the disability living allowance and, and these other benefits that, that are being cut or, or, or scrapped altogether. Does that change your opinion a little bit? If they're not able to work, should they get free parking? And goes on to talk about these Australian presenters. Um, where was the phone security at the hospital? I blame both ends, I think, though I don't condone the presenter's actions. I have seen comment this, week, uh, this weekend... Um, because a lot of people have been going for those DJs after the... I mean, it's a terribly sad turn of events for this young lady to have killed herself. Of course it is, and I, I, I wish her family, you know, every, every bit of whatever that, that they can, because it's terribly tragic. But there have been some people saying, well, hang on. Surely th- 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 this hospital who've written the stern letter to Australia, their phone system wasn't very secure, was it? If you've got heirs to the throne in the hospital... Perhaps they should have beefed up their security a little bit on the phone. Instead of having some poor, young, vulnerable nurse answering the phone, 
they should have had, you know, MI5, MI6, whatever it is, answering. Are you starting to feel a little bit sorry for the Australian DJs? I don't think they should have done it. I think it was a ridiculous call to make. Not funny, not clever. But they're now at the end of a, a, a witch hunt. They're being pursued for a prank that kind of got out of hand. No, no one could have predicted that this would have been the end result. What do you think? Are you feeling a little bit sorry for the two Australian DJs? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. The new picture, and I would say slightly better picture of my beard, is now up and running. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC Three CR and have a look at that bad boy. The BBC in beds, hearts, and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now have a think back to school and learning history. Did you enjoy it? I liked some of it. I didn't like the Tudors. I thought the Tudors were a bit boring. But I liked, I liked other aspects. In fact, I loved history. I was really into it. Well, schools in disadvantaged areas of the country are dropping the teaching of history according to a parliamentary report. In some cases, they have no pupils taking history GCSEs. But the teaching of history is much healthier in more prosperous areas. Well, joining me now to champion the subject is David Waters, head of history at St George's School in Harpenton. Morning, David. Morning. Histories, well, history is excellent, isn't it? Apart from the Tudors. The Tudors are boring. History is very exciting, and I, I love the Tudors particularly. Why? Why do you love? Do, do you are you really a Tudor a fan? Well, it's great stories and Henry VIII and the Six Wives. The, the kids love it. How do you make history exciting? Because I know that that, that when you speak to young people uh, and you say history, they're like, oh, oh god! But history is brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's very exciting. I think you have to keep the sense of story and um, not make it too complex, especially mm. for the younger children. And what's different uh, now, I'd imagine, I was kind of at the tail end of it, I was at the start of GCSEs, and they were just getting away from that thing of having to learn years, you know, years by rote and stuff. It, it's more exciting than that, isn't it? Yeah, it's not just about rote learning and dates and so on, although, of course, um, you know, knowing what actually happened is, is important. I think GCSEs are fantastic because there's so much choice and range. Um, you can choose lots of different international studies if you want to, as well as British history, so there's lots out there for people to choose, really. Why do you think that less people are... You know, there are some schools where no-one's taking history GCSE. I don't know. It's difficult. There is lots of choice out there for different GCSEs. Yep. Um, and perhaps um, some students prefer to choose uh, more creative subjects or there isn't enough um, choice in the curriculum. Mm. Maybe the, the schools need to choose different options that they find more relevant to them. The thing I did struggle with history uh, was the, the, the agricultural revolution. Uh, look, at, look at us, well, now we're getting into it. Oh, listen, ten to, ten to seven on BBC Three Counties Radio, they're discussing the agricultural revolution. The only thing I can remember from that nightmare, tedious three months... Tiny Tim's winkle bends greatly every cold year. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? Um, I'm afraid not. Sorry. It's Tull Townsend, and then I can't remember the rest. They're the people that discovered. Oh, Jethro Tull and his seed drill. Yeah, with the Jethro Tull and the seed drill. Very important. Yeah. I- important, but a bit. <laughs> what kids want to learn about is battles, isn't it? Um, some, especially boys, I think, get very excited by battles. Um, I think it's important, as I said before, to keep it to a, a quite a simple story and to keep the range. So we try and teach lots of world history as well as British history, which is really important. There, there are some people that would say, yeah, but come on, history. It, it's not as important as maths and English and things like that. What, what would you say to those people? Um, of course, those subjects are very important. I suppose it depends what you think uh, a subject is for. And I think uh, if you want to understand about our country and the way the world works, mm. then it's really important to understand how it all developed. So for me, history is really important for all children. What age, what age children do you teach? 
I teach uh, mostly A-level, but also okay. I teach 11-year-olds as what, well. What are they doing in A-level at the moment? Um, well, we teach a lot of American and German history at A-level. Um, mm. and we teach a lot of British history earlier on in school. I did American history A-level. I failed miserably. Uh, <laughs> I did. I, did I, 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 I was going through a very naughty phase. Uh, there are some people who might say, well, teaching foreign countries history, that's not really relevant to us, is it? Well, I think America is the big world power at the moment. It's very important to understand where that, how, how it's developed and, and uh, where it's come from. Uh, one of our American users is actually British as well, so, of course, we used to run America. We used to own... We used to... And I, I made that... I was in America just last week, and I did make the comment to, uh, to, to a waitress there. I said, hey, listen, love, we used to own this, this little island, and we can come back and take it any time we want. Perhaps things would be very different if we still did... She wasn't very impressed with that. Kind of, it <laughs> no. has to be said. They're uh, very patriotic. They are very patriotic, aren't they? They're a little bit too patriotic. I, I find it a bit creepy sometimes. Yeah, they love their flags. I have to say, they're always up saluting first thing in the morning. What when you're teaching the younger the, the younger uh, pupils at your school? What are the the kind of topics that really get them sitting up all eager? Yeah, well, they really just love stories and very exciting stories. So I just looked at the Battle of Hastings and we reenacted that on the field and they really got into that. Yeah. Although one boy still thinks that because he wore glasses that he, he didn't die as Harold. The ice was stopped by his glasses. Really? So. An arrow will go straight through <laughs> glasses, wouldn't it? I'm imagining... I think so. I, I wasn't allowed to reenact it properly with no. real arrows, so... Best, uh, best historical murder? Uh, Thomas Beckett. Go on. What, do you remind me of Beckett? Thomas he- Beckett murdered in his cathedral in Canterbury by three knights, supposedly... Beautiful. On order of the king, and that's a great story as well. <laughs> See, you've got to you've got to love the murder or something like that. Listen, uh, uh, David, thank you so much for coming in. I, are you off? You off teaching today? Yeah, yeah. It's going there next to Harpenden on the train. So, what what do you do if if the young people are, are, are busy talking about I don't know the X Factor or the Backstreet Boys or something like that? What do, what what trick have you got to get their attention immediately? Well, we try and do different types of teaching, so role plays and things, okay. and, and I suppose trying to make it relevant without losing sense of what actually happened. Are you allowed to throw the chalk, the, the, the board rubber at them anymore? <laughs> no, no, no. Man alive, things have changed since my day, it's not fair. Listen, thank you very much for coming in, it's much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, David Walter. What do you think? I'm a big fan of history, I love it. I think it's very important and very, very exciting. 08459 455 555. Am I the only person in the world that hasn't seen Skyfall yet? I've only just watched uh, uh, Avengers assemble i know I, I will see it one day when it's on netflix i'll watch it what was that about 2017 i think uh, we've got a couple of emails and texts on uh the uh, australian djs i'm asking this morning do you feel a bit sorry for them now there's a witch hunt for them terribly tragic turn of events and you know i send every sympathy to the family of the poor young nurse <laughs> to blame it all on the djs uh, on the email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Regardless of how sorry you feel for the two Aussies, they have a responsibility of decency to adhere to, as you do when talking to a member of the public. Huh? Actions or spoken words have consequences which, once uttered, could not be unsaid. I'm not quite sure what the point is you're, having a, you're getting at me there, but thank you. Uh, and Mark in Bedford says, I have no pity for the DJs. If they and Two Day FM had followed the rules, that nurse would be alive. This was not unforeseeable. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call on that. Do you feel a bit sorry for them? It would appear that the, a lot of you don't. I'm curious. I, I kind of do. We've all played jokes and pranks and things, and theirs wasn't funny and was inappropriate. And I was saying last week, you know, you should never phone up a hospital and do a prank like that. But no one could have expected this outcome, could they? Should we stop doing all pranks? 
Wow. I say, well, that's the first hour has gone by. A minute ago, I was in bed, struggling to get up and getting dressed under the duvet because it was so cold. Now the first hour of the show has gone. More coming up, including stolen bikes and those Australian DJs. It's a horrible place. I'm, I'm being bullied and pilloried. Is pilloried a word? Pilloried. Pilloried. It sounds like it's a word. I'm going to go with it. Uh, for the state of my beard. Listen, that's only six days growth, kids. Huh? Yeah. When you know that, a new picture has been taken and has been put on the Facebook page. Sans flash avec fullness. Go and have a look. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. I'm toying with the idea. I was reminded uh, last week by Ben, who works in the office, that on a show just a couple of months ago on this very station, I said that all men with beards are perverts. I stand by that statement. Coming up in the next hour of the show, lots of stuff that I know you'll like to have your say on, including should everyone have to pay to park at hospitals? Two hospitals in the three counties are charging disabled people. A disability rights lawyer says they could be breaking the law. Are you feeling a little bit sorry for the Australian DJs who made the prank call to the hospital where the Duchess of Cambridge was staying? An interview with them is going to be broadcast in about half an hour's time and we will give you an update on that. And we reveal how many bicycles were stolen from railway stations in beds, hearts and bucks this year. Not great news if you park your bike in Luton. If you want to get in touch, facebook.com forward slash uh, BBC3CR. You can text 813... Oh, no, hang on, 8133. What is it? 81333. There we go. We got there in the end. 81333, start your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call, and this is the best way to do it. I can see we've got a couple of lines free. So pick up the phone. I wait 459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. And I know you'll want to give me a call and talk about this. Do you think disabled people should have a right to free car parking outside hospitals? 37 NHS trusts, including the Luton and Dunstable and the Lister in Stevenage, charge disabled drivers regardless of where they park. This is what some people outside the L&D hospital think. Does it seem right that you have to pay? No. And I mean, there's lots of people worse off than me and probably driving themselves, which makes it um, harder, I think. No, I think they take too much... um for everything, whether you're disabled or not. You can have a concession of £4 for 24 hours, but if someone's in hospital for two or three weeks, it, it soon adds up. It's not well advertised either that there are concessions. We should, we should have to pay something, but not, not the hourly rates that they do. Yeah, there should be some disa- free disabled parking around a hospital that's very close yeah. for people with disabilities that can uh, enter and exit a hospital um, readily and easily. Yeah. We can talk now to the chairman of the Luton and Dunstable Hospital, Spencer Colvin. Morning, Spencer. Good morning. But before that, let's go to disability rights lawyer Chris Fry. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Do you think you think that these hospitals that charge disabled people could be in breach of the law? Uh, yeah, uh, the, the law is fairly clear when it comes to equality in that uh, anything which uh, ha- the outcome of which is less favourable treatment directly as a result of disability. Uh, is potentially unlawful and reasonable adjustments need to be made by the service provider to avoid that disadvantage. So, Where is the disadvantage? Well, in circumstances where, um, although a policy might be, uh, be applied equally as it is uh, in these situations, the, the difference is on the outcome. And so in, in simple terms, if, 
if I go to a hospital appointment and I don't need a wheelchair and a wheelchair usually goes to the hospital and we go for essentially the same appointment, uh, the uh, odds are that it's going to take the wheelchair user substantially longer to, to complete that process than it is me. And on that basis, although price charges may be the same, it will end up costing them more because they'll be parking for longer. Uh, and that's where the disadvantage is. Uh, and when you multiply that by the extra appointments that uh, a disabled person will face and uh, multiply that over the course of a year, then obviously that advantage opens up to, to a significant one. Uh, and of course, it's a, a very big money spinner for hospitals in circumstances where you know, we're not just talking about one person. Uh, I, I guess that the number of people with disabilities visiting hospitals is uh, very significant. Spencer, you're, you're, you're putting uh, disabled people at a disadvantage and making money out of them. Um, um, I, I don't think either of those apply um, uh, 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 overall. I, th I think we, we certainly uh, accommodate the disabled parkers by uh, putting parking spaces more convenient around the hospital. Um, and, and, and so in that regard, it is easier for them to access our premises. Um, I think the second point about... T um, uh, taking advantage of them financially is that um, when we implement these rules and we only do that having taken consideration through our <coughs> various uh, committees um, and we liaise with the Disability Resource Centre in Luton about what's fair and equitable for our disabled patients and of course bottom line all of the income from car parking is channeled back into hospital funds. So any actions that we take to reduce that would have consequences elsewhere. Spencer, can I ask, when did you speak to the Disability Centre in Luton about this? Um, well, I think we have regular um, conversations with them, but certainly before we implemented our new car parking charges earlier in the year, and subsequently reduce them somewhat because we did get some complaints about the level of charges, then um, obviously we took that into account. Chris, the, the, the disabled people, they've, been cons they've consulted with the Luton Disability Centre and disabled people have get concessions. That sounds fair enough, doesn't it? Well, that sounds very interesting. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the duty on hospitals and local authority organisations to, to consult is... is a fairly comprehensive one. Uh, I, I don't know the, the detail, but uh, in judicial reviews with which I've been involved, those consultation processes have to be much wider. They have to be um, uh, all-embracing. They have to allow greater feedback from a full cross-section of uh, society, not just sort of particularly targeted groups. And once there has been a consultation, there then should be what's referred to as an equality impact assessment. Uh, and that that is really where uh, the, the impact of these changes has to be considered. But if there's, Chris, if there's, the a, if there's a concession, your, your point that it, it, it could take longer for someone uh, in, in a wheelchair or, or something like that to, to get there, yeah. if there's a concession in, in how much they pay, if they're paying less than an able-bodied person, then that kind of equals out, doesn't it? So that, that does make it, uh, that, that, that is equality. Well, the, the, it's the, the outcome which um, we're, we're interested in rather than uh, the uh, application of a policy in the interim. So discounted parking um, is, um, is ideal because it ref reflects the fact that um, there should still obviously be a charge, but, but one which 
um, has the effect of uh, receiving the same revenue on a like-for-like basis. So, so yes, a discounted tariff is one way to go and, and one which we support. So you're supporting the hospital's policy of, of the discounted uh, the parking tariff for disabled people? A discounted tariff, um, provided that it's um, uh, adequately weighted and uh, takes into account the specific needs of those uh, disabled users, is a is a policy which I think amounts to one which is compliant with the Equality Act. Spencer, it looks like we could be coming to some form of agreement here. Yes, I, th- I think just to be clear, we don't differentiate from disabled parking. What we do oh. differentiate uh, through is... is uh, Patients who come here require uh, planned or regular treatment, ah. outpatients, uh, immediate, ah, so hang on. So there immediate isn't... family members, carers, birthing partners. Um, and what we also do allow for disabled uh, parking is a free 30-minute drop-off. And for the first 30 minutes that anybody has to uh, leave a car, either disabled or other, the first 30 minutes is just one pound. Oh, so hang on so, a second. So there isn't a discount for if, you're, if you've got a blue badge? There's no discount. Ah, sorry, I thought that's what you said. That's, that's what was implied earlier on. I must have misunderstood that. I apologise. So, uh, in that case, you are discriminating then, because it will take them longer. Um, we don't feel we're discriminating. And, in fact, as I said, when we speak to Luton Disability Resource yeah. Centre and we, um, we uh, speak with our uh, Equalities Committee, then the feeling is that there should be equality of charging. But, but there isn't. But, Spencer, now I, now I understand exactly what you're saying. Sorry, I, I, I obviously misunderstood the point you were trying to make. Uh, th- there isn't an equality, is there? Because it will take longer, and I, I know this through personal experience, for someone to, who has to get a wheelchair out of the back of their car, they, it, it, it instantly adds uh, time they're going to be in the park, car park, getting out of the car, getting the wheelchair out, getting in the wheelchair, going to where they're going, travelling back, putting the wheelchair back in, that is going to take them longer, isn't it? And, and sometimes substantially longer. So, in, in a way, that is discrimination. The, the car parking locations and the free 30-minute drop-off are... That, that everyone gets. Everyone gets it, the free yeah, 30 it, minutes. Uh, are, ...are designed to... But the, the proximity of the disabled badge holders' car parking, obviously, well, yes, makes it much easier for them to access the... But unless, unless you have a, a car park that's the size of a football pitch, that's, I mean, it's, it's not significantly different. And if everyone's getting the full 30 minutes... Chris, what, what do you make of that? I think there are two points, and it seems they're fairly widely misunderstood. I mean, the definition of disabled under the Equality Act, which is the tool which people can use as individuals to enforce their rights... Disability is defined as something which has a substantial impact on somebody's day-to-day life and has been there for at least 12 months. Uh, Well, that opens up a whole range of categories, much wider than just being a blue badge holder, for example. Uh, There will be a very many, uh, very high percentage of people visiting hospitals who are technically disabled within that definition. But they haven't got Uh, a blue badge. No, no, well, it doesn't matter. Well, no, that's the, tough. Uh, though. If, they, if they're definition. not, no, that's 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 tough in that respect. We can't just broaden it to people who've got who are a little bit disabled but that can't get well, a blue I'm badge. The equality, the equality act has already done that. Uh, well, that's ridiculous. Then the, the the definition of disabled isn't just to pigeonhole people who are uh, blue badge. Well, what disabilities or, are out? What disabilities fall outside of the the, the people who are awarded blue badges that you think well, should I'm, get free parking? In simple terms, there may well be people who uh, visit hospitals who, um, uh, who who are not themselves motorists, but who have to pay fees for parking. Um, uh, they, they are um, disabled, but they, they, but they, they might me, not have the specific, blue badge. Chris, give me a specific disability that falls outside of the blue badge scheme, which is an excellent scheme and is pretty, pretty all-encompassing, oh, that you feel deserves free parking. 
I think any 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 disability which uh, is I can't think no, I can't impact, I can't think of one okay. disability that falls well, outside the blue bag scheme. So give me an mobility, example. Well, m- mobility impairments. Um, uh, I, I don't know the criteria um, actually in terms of travel or uh, uh, distance walked which uh, is required for a, a blue badge, perhaps you do. No, Chris, uh, can you but give there me... Are mobility, but there are people who, who struggle with walking, uh, whose mobility is poor. Well, uh, there may be a form of... Uh, uh, who, who don't... I can hear the sound of straws being badge. clutched at now, Chris, for goodness sakes. If you, if you can't give me a specific example of, of one that falls out of that badge, then... I think I think we're painting with too broad a brush. Uh, it's, uh, disability rights lawyer Chris Fry and the uh, chairman of the Luton and Dunstable, Dunstable Hospital, Spencer Colvin. What do you think, dear listeners? Should disabled people get free parking when it comes to hospital or concessions? I can understand the point that Chris was making about concessions. And it can take you longer. Of course it can take you longer to, uh, to, to get from the car to the ward if you have some form of disability. And, I, and I, I really think we have to stick with the blue badge scheme here because it's pretty all-encompassing. I can't think of any, and correct me if I'm wrong, that fall outside of that scheme. Or should it be completely free? Always a cracking listen, uh, JVS. He had a little jolly on uh, Friday in Manchester and uh, got a little bit boozy. Good for him. Well done. Congratulations. Back to business today, sir. Disabled parking in hospitals. We uh, heard uh, a lawyer who believes that hospitals that charge uh, disabled people to park are are breaking and contravening some laws. And uh, we heard from the hospital who said, well, actually, do you know what? We're not. What do you think? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Liz is in St Albans. Good morning, Liz. Good morning. Should disabled people be able to park for free in hospitals? I'm going to be a really hated person this morning. No, I don't think so. I don't know about hated. A lot of people have kind of come up with uh, with your idea. Why not? Because there are families that have to go to the hospital sometimes just as much as disabled people, and we still have to pay. Um, and it, it's. Re- <sighs> As I'll go to be really hated. It's like with everything else. No disrespect to the elderly or the disabled people, but they get a lot of things. They get heating allowance. I know I'm going on a different tangent, but families who struggle don't. Mm. And people like me, I, I mean, I don't have to go to the hospital, you know, but people and families like me who do have to go to the hospital a lot, who don't have a disabled pass, still have to pay. Liz, if I, I can I ask you a question, if, if I'm being too nosy, tell me to get knotted. <laughs> why, why, why do you have to go to the hospital a lot? No, I don't. Oh. No, if I did. Oh, if you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you sorry. I, I'm misunderstanding everybody this morning. I need to get, as my mum would say, I need to get my ears cleaned out. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, but can you, do you think maybe they should get slight concessions? Because there are some disabled people, and this is just some, and I, I, I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush, but there are some who are unable to work because of their disability. And they do get a disability living allowance, although I, I can't remember which benefit has been scrapped. They've all been kind of put into one benefit and it's been cut slightly. So there are some that, that have less than other people. And it will take them longer to get out of the car uh, and go into their appointments. So they'll, in, they'll be penalised because of their disability. But then people who don't have a bit disability are still penalised because sometimes if you have children, you have buggies, you have to get buggies out of the car. Um, I take my nan to the hospital. She's 92. Yeah. Um, and you, you still have to t- pay for parking. She's slow getting out of the car. Mm. Liz, listen, thank you very much for that. I don't think you're going to be hated. A lot of people have, uh, have kind of supported that. My mum's got a blue badge. Well, she did. She lost it 
How can you lose that? Uh, and we, uh, when I drive her around and we used it, would get free parking. And I'd think, oh, yeah, nice. Bonus. Uh, but but uh, part of me does scratch my head wondering why we do get free parking. Not everywhere. Not everywhere. Some places you don't get free parking. But it does kind of make me think, well, uh, really? Are we entitled to this? Mum's got a bit of money, not a lot. Paying £1,300 a week to be in a care home. That's, that's, anyway, that's by the by. Uh, Carol has emailed in. Ian, I was in a wheelchair with arthritis and refused a blue badge. Uh, she was refused a blue badge. I questioned it and was told it was on the grounds I might improve after hospitalisation. It was never going to improve. I needed to park and be driven to go to regular weekly hospital visits at the time. Eventually, after reapplying with my consultant's help, I got the blue badge. But I was very disabled without a blue badge in the first place. My case is not uncommon either. Uh, and Matt says, when our son was in hospital after being run down by a car, we got free parking at the hospital as my wife and I needed to be there for extended hours. And he was a minor. Excuse me. He was a minor. If they can do it for children, why not disabled? I believe that cancer vic- victims can get concessions too. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call on that. I genuinely don't quite know what I believe on this and what I think. I think I'm coming around to the way of thinking that perhaps disabled people shouldn't have free parking. But maybe some sort of uh, reduction would be appropriate. 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's a story we were talking about last week. Um, and it's taken a very tragic turn over the weekends. Two Australian DJs at the centre of the royal phone hoax tragedy are to break their silence. Mel Gregg and Michael Christian have given interviews to Australian television. Sections of the Aussie press are accusing the UK media of engaging in a witch hunt over the prank broadcast by Sydney station Two Day FM. Well, Malcolm Brown is a journalist for the Sydney Morning Herald. Morning again, Malcolm. Morning. Uh, this has taken uh, a real turn of events with the suicide of the young lady that opened, uh, that answered the telephone call and put them through. Do you feel sorry for the DJs at all? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, they, they did not think it through. Uh, look, they, it's the Australian sport that takes a mickey out of the palms, and that's been done since the beginning of colonisation. But this wasn't taking the mickey out of the pond. This wasn't conning away into the royal enclosure at Ascot. This was uh, taking the mickey out of a couple of hapless nurses uh, at the hospital who were unprepared for it. And that is being recognised now throughout Australia. And a lot of quite valid scorn has been poured onto the radio station at Two Day FM and onto the DJs. Last week when we, we spoke, Malcolm, there hadn't been the level of outrage in Australia that we, we had here. Now there has been this, this tragic turn of events. What's, what's the mood like regarding this story now? Well, the mood, the mood has certainly uh, turned uh, quite uh, dark and sour against the, the station. is very much on the defensive. They've suspended advertising till next Monday as a mark of respect. They had advertisers were threatening to pull out anyway. Uh, Greg and uh, uh, Christian were uh, taken off air indefinitely. Uh, they've now broken their silence and given... Uh, given their uh, talk to the uh, television, but they are, they, their future is still very much under cloud as to what will happen to them. Uh, a lot of people have been sending emails and uh, 
uh, other messages to the radio station saying it has blood on its hands and do you feel proud of yourselves now? And that, I think, is quite a valid response, and, and it's a widespread response. The interview's going to be broadcast, I think, in about the next half an hour or so in Australia. I'm assuming it's going to be, well, but maybe I'm wrong, one of the most watched TV news events in quite a while, is it? Oh, yes, there will be a lot of people who are very interested in what they have to say. Um, but the, uh, they've had their, uh, their, their critics who are talking about taking them off the air for good and their defenders, uh, including an influential columnist, uh, Peter Fitzsimons, who said that it was the reaction was going out of proportion. Also, Jeff Kennett, the former Premier of Victoria, who is uh, the chairman of Beyond Blue, which is an anti-depression or a depression organisation, uh, warned about the uh, uh, persecuting these two because he feared that they might fall into some sort of suicidal depression themselves and that is also is quite a valid concern and uh, the authorities are going to be investigating this are they Yes, the, the, well, we've had the word that the Scotland Yard has made, made the contact with the, with the, with the Australian police. Uh, there's also, uh, it's clearly a breach of journalistic ethics, not mm. to, to declare yourself as a journalist, and uh, it is a possible uh, breach of the Telecommunications Act to, to, uh, to, to, to record someone without their consent. Uh, I don't think it'll fall into criminal charges, but certainly it, it is being investigated, and the licence of the two-day FM is also a matter for review, given that Today FM has offended before in various matters with a, with a renegade uh, a broadcaster, a compere, a Kyle Sandilant who's done some outrageous things. So they've been in the gun before, and it may be uh, the, the, the time of uh, truth will come when they're with their uh, licence up for review. Malcolm, listen, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk to you again about this at some point. Can we also get you on for a jollier story at some point? Yes, you. Yes, you can. We will. We will. We will put in a call. Malcolm Brown, there, who is a journalist for the Sydney Morning Herald. Paul's in Bletchley is on the line. Morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. What do you reckon? Do you feel a bit sorry for these two DJs now? Um, no, no. I think the real crime is that the British media um, um, put the recording out, and not only that, named the nurse at the time. I'm sure mm. Radio Five Live and a lot of other stations. I'm not saying yours. Um, you know, very quickly put it out. Name, name the nurse, and, and the pressure was on her then, you know, I mean, you, you know, even if they'd played the recording, they should have never named the lady, um, and, she, and she probably obviously felt a terrible amount of shame, mm. um, but if she hadn't been named, she could well be alive today. Do you know, I haven't heard the call, the only bit of the call I've heard, and I think it was on Five Live, yes. was the bit where this young lady answered the call and put them through. Yes. That was the only bit, and I know the BBC was under strict instructions, as soon as it, it, it came out that medical information had been given out, you ain't playing that, and we all got an email saying, do not play this the, 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 this recording uh but so you think that that by naming the thing is that it's a, it's confusing isn't it because that information and that recording was in the public domain you know it, it is out there i could google it and find it right now the whole recording yes yeah i mean obviously they didn't play when she put her through to the nurse on the ward and then she started giving the details but um yeah you know it should never have she should certainly have never been named and who named it did the hospital give her name out i mean you know, the pressure was, was on her then, and, mm. um, it, yeah, it's a total terrible thing, really. I mean, did they have her permission to name her? That's another thing, you know. I mean, they should have gone to her and said, look, we've got this recording, um, are we allowed to name you? I mean, you know, was she al- was, was she asked? I mean, she'd probably, I think it was apparently five o'clock in the morning, she was probably just finishing a night shift, working all night as a nurse, and she got this call come through, and what do you do? You, you've supposedly got the Queen of, of England on the phone. Do, do you ask her date of birth and national insurance number to confirm the... Oh, Paul, you're, you're, I think you're right. I've got to end there because we're running out of time. But there have been people who said, 
well, come on, the hospital needs to accept some responsibility for, for not having a stricter security system in place. I don't know. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, the Australian uh, interview with the DJ is being broadcast now, and we'll give you updates on that as it happens. Coming up in the next half an hour, British astronomer and broadcaster, forget the astronomer stuff, forget the astronomer stuff, he was the games master. Yeah, oh yeah, he helped geeky kids who got stuck on Mario. He told them what to do. Sir Patrick Moore died at the weekend, aged 89. We'll be speaking to an expert in space exploration from Hertfordshire to find out just why he was so popular. And how keen are you to leave your bike at the train station? Figures collected by three counties reveal the number of bikes stolen from Luton train station has almost doubled uh, in the uh, two years. Uh, I've got a couple of texts on these DJs. Let's get these out of the way, shall we? I would have thought the hospital where the Duchess was would have some kind of password known only to the Queen and Prince William and the few others with the need to know. And that password would have to be given before they got through to the ward where Kate was. That password would be changed daily, Nick and Hitchin. I can tell you what, if I, if, if I were to phone up my kid's nursery... It would be harder for me to get through to, to, to the kids than it was to get through to the ward where Catherine was in this hospital. I'll tell you that for a start. Ian, get real. MI6 answering phones at what cost? The Aussies were completely out of order and should be held partly accountable for their irresponsible actions. No apology has yet been given by anyone over there, so they and the station deserve everything they get. Zach. Well, Zach, you don't think that MI6 go around answering phones for the Queen? Really? Pranks are for kids, and though I don't feel sorry for the DJs, but her family, they have lost their mother. The DJs lost wages, Vanessa and Bedford. DJs should never have played the phone call until they have permission. Nothing they have to say now will make me feel sorry for them. Cynthia in High Wycombe. If you want to text in your uh, response to that, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Broadcaster, games master and astronomer Sir Patrick Moore has died at the age of 89. He was the games master and was wonderful at it, telling kids how to get out of level three of Super Mario World. But to more people, perhaps, he was the face of astronomy as the presenter of The Sky at Night for 55 years. When I began doing The Sky at Night, our ideas of Mars, they were different. We thought there might have been lakes down in the the perfect novel, and the entire thing was different. And astronomy now is such a fast-moving science, and it's bound to catch the interest and maintain it. Because I'm, I'm a solar system man, and now we're looking far into space with our great telescopes, trying to find out the origins of the universe and how far we can go. And that, to me, is immensely exciting. I've rather spanned the ages. I've met the first airman, Orville Wright. I know the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, very well. I met the first man in space, Yuri Gagarin. And I wonder... What's going to happen in the next hundred years? I won't see it. You'll see a part of it. But I think now, in a hundred years, our present-day astronomy will seem very antique. It's Patrick Moore there. Well, Jerry Stone is an expert on astronomy and space exploration from Hertfordshire. Morning, Jerry. Good morning. Did you ever meet Sir Patrick? Oh, uh, several times. Oh, what, what was he like? Oh, he is a, a terrific guy. He is always very friendly. Uh, very willing to help people out and to encourage uh, an interest in astronomy. Where did you meet him? This is a, a completely foreign, or let's say an alien world to me, Jerry. Do, do you astronomers kind of have all shindigs and get-togethers and astronomers do's? Well, we do, actually, although that that's not uh, quite where, where uh, I met him. Um, I've got to say, I can't remember the very first time mm. um, I saw him, but... Uh, 
Um, I saw him, uh, for example, at uh, Astrofest, which is a big uh, astronomy uh, event that takes place in London uh, um, in February each year. And uh, I've also uh, been to his house uh, a few times for various uh, events. Why was he held in such high regard with astronomers? Uh, He had an incredible knowledge. And uh, he was... uh, really a a, a true expert in it despite having had no formal education in astronomy he started uh, off uh, his interest when uh, he was about six years old his mother gave him a book about astronomy and he was hooked Mm. and uh, and so many uh, people um, find it so fascinating because uh, amongst other things uh, you, know, you don't actually have to, to go and, and study uh, for years to learn about it. Anybody can carry out astronomy just by going outside and, and looking up. And in fact, if people do at the very moment, they'll see a beautiful crescent moon. The moon looks weird outside. this morning, Jerry. We noticed that as we came in. Yeah. What on earth is that all about? No, it, it, it's... Uh, I mean, the moon goes through its various phases during the month, and uh, at the moment we've got a beautiful crescent... Uh, in the morning sky. Jerry, what do you think uh, Sir Patrick Moore's legacy will be? Uh, I think the, the fact that he inspired millions of people to uh, observe the, the sky and uh, to take up astronomy. I think that the number of astronomical societies that uh, there are, not only in England, but uh, around the world, uh, is due to him in, in no small part. But the amazing thing, though, was that uh, he always insisted that he was only an amateur. I mean, he was never paid as an astronomer. Well, he says he was an amateur. His maps of the moon, if I've got this right, were used by NASA. Absolutely. That's incredible. And that's Uh, just from using a a telescope. Obviously, he never went up there, did he? Of course. Yes, that's right. And I think that uh, one reason that he kept insisting that he was only an amateur was that he was effectively saying um, if I'm only an amateur then anyone else can do what I do mm. and uh, I, you know that that was uh, a great encouragement uh, to people but uh, his uh, um, his work is, is phenomenal I mean he, he wrote loads and loads of books about astronomy and in fact I had uh, well, one of my first astronomy books was uh, called Guide to the Moon um, by Patrick. Mm. And uh, I, in fact, I still refer to it uh, today. Jerry, listen, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Jerry, St- uh, Jerry Stone, an expert on astronomy and space exploration from Hertfordshire, talking about the uh, death of Sir Patrick Moore. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. So, disabled people parking outside hospitals... Should they park for free? 37 NHS trusts, including the Luton and Dunstable and the Lister in Stevenage, charge disabled drivers regardless of where they park. McDillan is the chief executive of the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Morning, Mick. Morning, Ian. Uh, d- charges. Should disabled people be able to park for free? Well, if you'd have asked me at uh, 7 o'clock this morning, I'd have said that, you know, what the LND is trying to do is fair, to have a scale of charges, you know, where it takes longer and all of which you've heard this morning. Mm. But unfortunately, the, the, the chair of the LND has been quoting us as... Uh, endorsing their... Well, he, sp- he spoke to you about this, according uh, to him. Well, I haven't spoke to the LND for two to three years on parking. 
So I am one of, it's one of those mornings you're furious at the radio, and I, I just think now that, you know, if they want to take that stance, what they should do is explain why they, rather than Bedford Hospital or Milton Keynes, actually okay. choose. Well, we spoke, just, just for those who may have missed this earlier on, earlier on the show, we spoke to, spoke to Spencer Colvin, who is the uh, chairman of the Luton and Dunstable Hospital. He says he speaks to people from your group a couple of times a year, a few times a year, and I asked him when the last time he spoke to you about this was, he said, well, he definitely consulted with you this year before they brought in the parking charges. Are you saying that's not true? That's not true. Wow. So, uh, you know, it, it was one of those moments. I mean, you know, we're only a mile down the road and, and we've engaged over many years. I mean, I mean, you know, th- th- it's a difficult site to work on, but that's a planning issue, not, not uh, anything else. Uh, uh, Bedford Hospital can do it. Milton Keynes Hospital can do it. And I think now they should explain why they choose to charge. You know, uh, the, the inequality is the fact that some do charge and some don't. Mm. And that becomes confusing. Mick, let me put the point to you that, that, that actually, I'm surprised, a surprising amount of, uh, of people who've gone in touch with the show this morning have said, why should disabled people get free parking? Well, I've got to pay, why, why, should, why should they? It, it, it is true. Uh, and some people can afford, some people can't afford, you know. Uh, uh, and that, that's the mix. So probably half of disabled people, I think 56% of people with disabilities do work, but they're, of course, 40% can't work or aren't allowed to work. Um, it, it's, it is a bonus. Sometimes it costs to have a disability. Uh, if you want to nip down the road, you have to use your car all the time. You can't use public transport easily, if at all. Um, and there is a cost to having disability. Um, you're right that the, the DLA has a mobility component, but that's normally used for motability immediately, and you lose that, you don't actually see it. Uh, and if you put it all into the mix, that, you know, it, it becomes a tax that all of us have to pay, uh, and that always feels uncomfortable when it's just, you know, you're disabled through potentially no choice of your own. Uh, Mick, stay on the line, because uh, we're talking about Spencer Colvin, the chairman of the Luton and Dunstable Hospital. He's on the line now. Morning, Spencer. You're back. I'm back. I am back, yeah. M- Mick, Mick says you haven't spoken to, to him or, or anybody. OK. I, I'm sorry about that, Mick. I, I'm Spencer Colvin. I'm chair. Uh, certainly, uh, my big thing is that we have sought advice from the Luton Disability Resource Centre about charging blue badge holders and obviously that being fed into our committee that deals with the charges and uh, as part of the decision making process not not as uh, as a result of any advice as such but as part of the division making process so um i'll certainly check as to when that took place but that's what i'm advised mick you're saying that that never actually happened well that, that, that's right i, I mean I, I don't know what the luton disability resource center is there's only one and that's the disability resource center which is based in pointers road and that's us I, i'm the uh, organ grinder not the monkey uh, and, you know, I, I don't know who you've been speaking to, but you need to speak to the right people to get the right solutions. Mick, um, uh, your second name is? Uh, Dylan. Mick Dylan. Uh, Mick, I, I will ensure that we do speak to you about it, and obviously if there's any divergence of opinion, then we'll, we'll put, we'll put I mean, that this, this, is, this is the danger that, you know, uh, to be fair to yourself, you get advised and you have to believe what people tell you, but I'm afraid sometimes in the statutory sector, if you, you drill a bit deeper, you soon find that... Uh, the reality is often very different. Mick, would you mind if, when we finish this, uh, if, if my team gives Spencer your phone number... Sure. ..and he gives you a call... Uh, t- could you give him a call this morning, Spencer? I will, I will arrange for that to take place straight away. Fantastic. And maybe we'll catch up tomorrow or later in the week and see, and see what, you, what you discuss, if that's OK. No right. problem. Spencer, thank you very much for, for getting back in touch. Spencer Colvin. Uh, and Mick, well, progress could be being made here, Mick. We look forward to it. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Well, there you go, you see. It was only uncomfortable for a few minutes, and then we, we, we could have sorted them out. If you give uh, Spencer Mick's number and vice versa, this could be the start of a beautiful friendship, couldn't it? This could all work out quite nicely. 
Um, Marina has emailed us on uh, disabled parking. We'll go to the travel in a second. When my husband lay dying in Bedford Hospital, one day, when I dashed out to renew my parking ticket, the nurse on duty pointed out I could have a free notice for the car because of the nature of my visit. At another hospital, my husband also got free parking for the six weeks when receiving radiotherapy. We took the parking ticket to the ward sister and it was stamped to show to the guy in the kiosk. He then opened the barrier for us. Marina, thank you very much for that. Breakdown on Friday. Ah, I'm not keen on cyclists. I'm not. And we all found well, there was a story we were toying with doing last week, which we didn't in the end. But apparently, if you cycle too much, you, uh, your, your sperm count will uh, reduce. You'll become impotent. So, in some ways, that makes me feel better. I have a bike, and as I've said before, it's been stuck around the side of my house for four years. And I suspect it, I suspect it will stay there for a long time, even when we move. Well, the number of bikes stolen from Luton train station has almost doubled in two years. Figs obtained by BBC Three Counties show a total of 135 bikes were stolen from 10 stations in Beds, Hearts and Bucks between April and October this year. Our reporter with thighs of steel, Gareth Lloyd, is at Luton train station this morning. Morning, Gareth. Morning, as the uh, refuge truck starts reversing, actually, excellent towards me. Excellent timing, excellent timing. Yeah. It always is. Real live radio. Yes, these are the numbers we're hearing. St Albans uh, City Station, 82 bikes stolen a couple of years ago, 74 last year, and 39 in the uh, period from April up till uh, October this this year. In Luton, though, the number's going up as opposed to St Albans, where the numbers are going down with crimes uh, relating to bikes. So that's theft of bikes, theft from bikes, and the damage to bikes. Um, I'm with Steve Donovan, who's a member of the British Transport Police. Uh, a rise, then, in, in crime to, to bikes in, in here at Luton Station. Any reasons why this might be happening? I mean, it could just simply be the displacement of the um, activities that described further in south on the line, where uh, criminals are now finding it harder to operate down there, so they're moving up, up onto our ground. Do you see a, a displacement with crimes on the railways? That's it, a very common thing to happen. I explained to you a short while ago that we're doing a lot of work on the West Coast Main Line. We don't think that displacement is coming here, but quite possibly it's coming from south of this line. Now, just briefly, the West Coast Main Line, uh, you've had quite a success there with, with the crimes against bikes. Yeah, we have. We're, we've been running bike marking schemes over there. We're supplying very good, sturdy bike locks uh, to passengers parking their bikes up, and, and the, the trend is falling over there. We'd like to do something very similar over here. We can get the funding to do that. The part of the line that you are looking after is, is from here up to bed isn't it? that's your, your stretch that, that you're responsible for uh, what can people do around this area to protect their bikes well if we, we like to see people secure their bikes you know with sturdy lock front and back using the frame and the wheel um, two different types of locks are very good as well because a criminal coming along is is going to bring a tool to take the lock off now if you've got say a, a, a nice big sturdy D lock at the back end and a and a good cable lock at the front in that he's now got to carry two tools around with him so we, we like to see things like that don't put the locks near the floor because that makes it easy to uh, cut the lock you use the floor as a if you like a base to cut through see people using ang- angle grinders to do things like that um, park your bike where there's proper good cctv coverage if you can see that um, we do have covert cctv cameras uh, that we we've got available to us that will form part of any future operation that we do as long, along with plainclothes policing and that's all stuff that a uh, cyclist can do what are the btp doing around this area to protect people's bikes when they're in the the, the capital for, for their, their, their day's work yeah well we, we regularly patrol the stations and uh, quite recently we arrested an offender here this station uh, officer observed him acting suspiciously and, and found him in possession of a pair of bolt croppers and uh, that that case is ongoing. He he, he was um, 
found also to have committed offences uh, in the local area. Uh, Bedfordshire Police have uh, charged him with a number of offences of bike theft. We've charged him with a go-and-equipped offence, and that case is ongoing. And uh, what about people that uh, do sadly have uh, damage or theft to their bikes or property? What, what do they need to do? If it happens on or around a train station, it's the BTP that you get in touch with? Yeah, report to the BTP. Um, uh, contact us on 0800 40 50 40. Uh, we'll take the crime report, and all our, although all our bike crimes are investigated, um, by us and uh, we, we do what we can to catch the offenders. And already in the first ten minutes you've been here you've already taken off twice to, to speak to other people. So Steve, thank you very much for joining us this morning. You've been very busy here already. That's Steve Donovan there who's a member of the British Transport Police. Thank you very much for that, Gareth. We can go now to uh, Tony Holland who is the uh, Crime Prevention Manager for First Capital Connect. Morning, Tony. Good morning, Ian. What do you do with uh, the British Transport Police to combat crime? Well, I mean, first, on First Capital Connect, we're very passionate about reducing crime overall, and with uh, partnership with BTP, I mean, we're funding additional policing to the tune of over £1 million a year so that we've got additional dedicated policing resources policing our, our station and our network. Why do you think so many more bikes were taken from Luton in particular? St Albans figures are down. I think, as Steve mentioned earlier just now, he was talking about displacement, and it is something that we do see. A lot of energy goes into reducing cycle crime at places like St Albans, where we've got parking for lots and lots of bikes. And as your figures have shown, we've seen figures come down there. And obviously, the impact of the policing strategy around uh, St Albans can result in displacement. Tony, what advice would you offer to people who want to bike, uh, park their bikes at the train station? I, I would just echo what, what Steve said earlier. It, it's really important that uh, cycle owners uh, buy quality locks, including D-locks. Use a minimum of two locks on your bikes. Um, and and the, the, there's some of the key things. Oh, only last week it, it came to my attention of a, uh, a couple of bikes that, that are just left there, left at the station unlocked, and, and, it, and it's almost it's, it's almost asking for people to, uh, to to steal them. Tony, we've, we're uh, operator for West Coast Mainline. They gave out locks to cyclists to try and help prevent thefts. You, you yeah. fancy trying that? Um, I, 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 we're certainly open to, to all kinds of initiatives. Um, in, historically, what we've issued out um, um, cycle alarms. Um, recently, we, we've just funded the, the purchase of, of bike uh, bike register marking kits. Mm. Um, and, and next year, working with BTP, there's going to be a series of events where we'll be um, uh, fitting. Uh, bike marking kits uh, free of charge to our customers. Tony Holland, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Here's the thing. If you don't want your bike stolen, you need, you need a blooming good lock. I don't mean like 20, 30, 40 quid. You want to spend about 80 quid on a lock. If you've got a bike that's a few hundred quid, 80 quid on a lock is nothing. Because they'll see that, they go, no, we're not having that, we'll have this one next to it. And those bike marking kits, <clears throat> doesn't stop the bike getting stolen, does it? Has anyone, let's put this out here, okay, has anybody got, had their bike stolen and then got it back because they marked it with a fluorescent postcode on, on the underside of it? Has, has that ever happened? If you've got a bike marking kit, you've put in your postcode or whatever it is you do these days, 
Your bike got nicked, and uh, two weeks later you got it back. We found your bike. Your postcode was written underneath the saddle in fluorescent pen. Has that ever worked? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, disabled parking. Should uh, disabled people get free parking uh, at hospitals? Jason is in Hitchin. Jason, what do you think? No. Plain and simple. Um, Why not? Politicians and, and, and people in this country trying to create an equal state where everybody's equal, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, if that's the case, equality runs to the end in both the left and the right directions. If it's equal for non-disabled, non-elderly people to pay for parking, then equality, by its own existence, means that disabled people and elderly people also have to pay parking, because that's equal. What about the argument, Jason, that elderly people and disabled people, they actually, it takes them quite a long time to get out of the car, get ready, go to the... the, 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 They're spending more time getting in and out of the vehicle that's going to uh, and getting to their appointment that could penalize them couldn't it um yeah but i don't think that's that's really the issue the blue badge system is in place for that and the blue badge system is not going to be doesn't detract from it um the blue badge system will still allow people with that are eligible for a blue badge to park nearer to mm. the venue that they're going to but the equality thing, the, the, the paying for the parking, just because you've got a blue badge doesn't mean you should be exempt from paying for parking. It just means that you can park, in, excuse me, you can park nearer to your destination. Uh, Jason, listen, thank you for that. It, it, it turns out most of you are agreeing with this. We found very few people who disagree. Alan in Luton has uh, texted in. I have a blue badge as I'm able to walk. I'm unable to walk very far. I'm more than happy to pay for parking. I'm only too glad to be able to park close to where I'm going and have a la- larger space to park in. <laughs> To get this music to, to play now that you, you're listening to now, I have to press a button. And I've been trying over the past few weeks to perfect the um, the Chico Marx. Remember on the Marx Brothers films, some of you will get this reference, when Chico Marx is playing the piano and he goes to the note right at the top and he there's, like he's pointing his finger and he kind of dips it. I've been trying to do that with this button to, to very little success. I tell you what, tomorrow, don't worry, Ol, it's, a, it's a, an old person's reference, you wouldn't get it, it's black and white. Tomorrow we'll film me... Trying to hit that button, Chico Mark style, and, and we'll, we'll see if I can get it right. Right, uh, indulgence aside, let's continue with the show. Uh, Australian radio hosts at the centre of the Royal Hospital hoax say they are, quote, gutted and heartbroken, unquote, over the death of the nurse from King Edward VII Hospital. Do you feel sorry for them? Hospitals could be breaking the law if they charge disabled drivers to park. Do you think disabled drivers should get free hospital parking? And find out why a group of people in part of Luton are to get a £1 million lottery windfall. BBC Three Counties Radio. The two DJs who made a prank call to the Duchess of Cambridge's hospital have given unpaid interviews to Australia's main TV networks. Mel Grieg and Michael Christian say they are heartbroken by what has happened. Mel Grieg recalled the moment she first heard the news. Unfortunately, I remember that moment very well because I haven't stopped thinking about it since it happened. And I remember my first question was, was she a mother? I'm very sorry and saddened for the family. And I can't imagine what they'd be going through. Gutted, shattered heartbroken we're still trying to get our heads around everything you know trying to make sense of of the situation it doesn't seem real because you just couldn't foresee something like that happening from a prank call you know it was never meant to to go that far it was meant to be a silly little prank that 
so many people have done before. Well, this interview has just gone out on Australian TV, and we can speak to our reporter now, Gavin Lee. Good morning, Gavin. Good morning, Ian. What was said in the interview? I've just seen all the, the highlights from it. It's two hours that they, they spoke for, and I think some of the, the main stations that duplicated it, Channel 9, Channel 7 in Australia, uh, say they're going to run the whole thing unedited. So, uh, basically, uh, there is a, a sense of you know, real grief, um, a real emotion from both of them. They said, actually, they feel like they, there has been a, a grieving process, that, that, that they have you know, directly caused something, that they feel um, you know, they have had a hand in this. So, they feel gutted, they feel heartbroken, they feel shattered by what's happened. Uh, Michael Christian, first of all, said... When he thought about making the call, it was going to be for about 30 seconds. They were going to hang up on us. That was it. Then Mel Gregg said, We thought about 100 people before us would have tried it. It was such a silly idea. The accents were terrible. Not for a second did we expect to speak to Kate, let alone have a conversation with anyone at the hospital. We wanted to be hung up on. Um, The interviewer then says to them... Did you have an idea and were you taught about what you can and can't put to air? And they say, well, this was a pre-recorded prank in- interview. Um, you know, we ex- didn't expect it to go out. To which she's, uh, she asked, the interviewer asks again, yes, but do you have an idea? Have you ever been taught what you can and can't put to air? To that? And they say, well, so that's somebody else's job to put it to air. And the checks were in place. The station says that it tried to contact the nurses about five times after the prank has been recorded. Yeah. Do we believe that? It's taken a while for that to come out, hasn't it? Well, this is this is from um, the head of the Southern Cross um, Osteria, which is the parent company of Today FM. This is a man called Rhys Holleran. He basically asked on Melbourne radio station last night, put into context what happened. He said they tried several times, at least five, he said, when pushed, to phone the hospital to get permission. What he doesn't say, he doesn't make clear whether he was trying to get through to the management or nurses or simply to say that this is Today FM, can somebody call back and imagine how many other calls they put the hospital put, may have got. He doesn't make it clear that it got a, uh, permission either. What he was saying though is he was satisfied with the procedures it followed its own rules and i guess why it took so long is because i I think there was a sense of the hospital trying to work out what to do next the both presenters were taken off air both the presenters had their um, twitter accounts deleted there was a very strong feeling in this country certainly in the media and in australian media and australian media criticizing the british media of carrying out a witch hunt and i think it's taken a direct letter from the hospital's chief executive to the radio station for the radio station to respond which has taken a few days gavin lee thank you very much indeed i'll tell you what uh, uh it's all very sad and i with my greatest sympathy is with the family involved of course it is what a, what a tragic turn of events the phrase witch hunt was used there i think that's right Listen, I think that's right. The n- These people, they did a prank. It wasn't very funny. It wasn't in great taste. Uh, it was stupid. It was dumb. It wasn't that good in the scheme of things. Right? But no one could have predicted that this would have happened, that this would be the outcome. And now, the look, I mean, look at the, 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 the Express, the front page of the Express. British police may quiz prank DJs after nurses' suicide. There are two people that did a prank call that wasn't very funny. That's it. They can't be responsible for the, the, the actions afterwards. Can they? Can they? Really? You look at all the people that have done pranks in this country. Uh, Jeremy Beadle, Noel Edmonds, I've done them, Moyles has done Everyone's done them. It is a bit of a witch hunt, isn't it? I do feel sorry for these poor DJs. 
partly because their act is so tired, but mainly because they, they, they are now the most hated people in the world because of something that was out of their control. Uh, well, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is going to continue to discuss this on his big phone-in. He's uh, asking, how much sympathy do you have for the Australian DJs? If you want to get in touch with him, you can send him an email now. Show at bbc.co.uk The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Should disabled people get... Fr- and it's, it's such a broad... Disabled people. Disabled people. And we, we, we're using slightly lazy language here this morning, and I apologise for that. Uh, I know it's, it's, it's more nuanced uh, and l- layers than that, but this is what we're, we're going with. Should disabled people be allowed to park for free in hospitals? Patricia is in Leighton Buzzard. Morning, Patricia. Morning. What do you think? Should disabled people get free parking in hospitals? Well, I think disabled people should, but then I think that everybody should in those circumstances because visiting and some of your relatives or husband, wives, whatever, a very, very emotional time. So across the board shouldn't pay, really, in my my mind. Well, listen, I, I, I agree. I think there should be free parking in hospitals, but... That is a thing from the past, Patricia. That is never going to happen. And also, people would take advantage of that. I've heard stories of people parking for free in hospital, popping down to Tesco, oh, right. doing a bit of shopping, then going up to Marx's. And so you, you kind of do have to charge. And, and, and hospitals are being, being, being squeezed. So we're never going to get rid of pay parking at, at hospitals. Why should disabled people be treated any different from able-bodied people? Oh, there, you've, you've got me there. Oh. It's just that... Um, no, I, I did, 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 did I win that argument, Patricia? Yes. Oh, well, there we... Will you come back and, be, uh, and have another argument with me one day? Maybe you can get the better of me? Yes. Excellent, Patricia. Thank you very much. OK. There we go. It wasn't necessarily an argument. I was just putting forward a counterpoint, but uh, that seemed to be enough to uh, disarm her and uh, reduce her to the, the quivering wreck that she became. Patricia, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call uh, on that. Ian, do stop moaning. Badge holders... I have a condition that comes and goes, therefore I receive no help of... uh, I didn't realise I was money. I receive no help of any kind at all. Not only do I have to go to hospital in London immediately, I have to fund my own transport. £700 last week. A few bob to park. Think yourself lucky. Kind regards to all. Elizabeth. Oh, she's saying... She's telling badge holders to stop moaning. Not me. I do apologise, Elizabeth. I, I read that completely wrong. On the uh, the subject of those Australian DJs, uh, Laura is in Bedford. Morning, Laura. Good morning. Do you feel sorry for these two Australian DJs? I do in part, yes. Tell me why. Yes, I do. I just, um, from the coverage over the weekend, I mean, when it first came out, I was just absolutely devastated. I mean, when it was heard said on Roberto's, I was like, oh my gosh. I stood in the kitchen for a minute thinking, oh my goodness, the worst possible thing. And then over the weekend, as, as things have developed, I've just, I just get the sense that the hospital is very much going to shy away from the whole thing and it's no responsibility on them whatsoever and I just and I, and I do you know I wonder if something should have been said by them with regards to their own policies and procedures and things like that and some responsibility taken on their part and I just get the feeling that that's not going to happen I did feel it I read it on Twitter and I did feel a, a, a little shiver uh, as yeah. I read it and uh, I thought well that's that's, uh, that's that's very sad the hospital I think have said that the nurses weren't reprimanded it'll be interesting to find out if that is if that is true and get an official statement on that and i do kind of think if you've got an heir to the throne in that (laughs) hospital you need better security than just some poor girl on on the reception don't you 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can't, but I mean, all the people standing outside with cameras and things like that, I can't believe that nothing would have been said to them with regards to phone calls coming through to the reception during the night. I understand it was early hours of the morning. Yeah. And I can't believe that nothing would have been said to them. No, no written policy would have been put in place. I was a nurse myself. And I just, you know, with regards to how, how high profile they were, you know, I'm so surprised that nothing would have happened. Sorry, my, my I was about to say, Laura, so- to me in the background. someone's Sorry. trying to get your attention. Who's that, Laura? That's my little boy, Rocco. Hello, Rocco. How old's Rocco? <laughs> Rocco is eight. <laughs> Can I have a word with Rocco? Yeah, just one moment. Just a word with Rocco. Rocco, I think he's hearing me upstairs. Rocco, <laughs> come on the phone and talk to me. <laughs> he says, oh, you remember you're on the phone. Here, Rocco, do you want to talk? Hey, Rocco. Hello. How you doing, Rocco? <laughs> You okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have you had a, did you have a good weekend? Yeah. Yeah. You looking for Rocco? <laughs> are you looking forward to Christmas? Yeah. What are you hoping to get from Father Christmas? Um, uh, a train set. A train set. <laughs> That's what my little boy is after as well. A train set. Uh, and what's are you a fan of Ben Ten? Ben, what's that, Ben 10? Ben 10. Do you like Ben 10, Rocco? <laughs> now, are you, Rocco? You know, you're not so noisy now, Rocco. Rocco, let me speak to your mummy. Okay. Laura. <laughs> Hello? Laura, listen, before he gets back to the radio, he wants a train set. Is he going to be happy? I think Father Christmas will. I, I think I think he's been a very good boy, and I'm sure Father Christmas Excellent. will be, be be one for that. Excellent, Laura. Love to talk to you, and love to talk to Rocco. Have a good day. Bye bye. There we go. Well, that, isn't that a relief, isn't it? Rocco's been a good boy. It looks like it looks like Father Christmas is going to see him right. Good lad. Thank you, Laura. Now listen, Jonathan Vernon Smith. Yes. <laughs> so, sorry, was that a? We sat here for five minutes. And we've 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 chewed the fat, and we've talked about <laughs> serious and and, and and light. Not once have you said nice beard. It is, I, uh, shall I tell you something? And you know me, I would be, I'd be rude if I thought yes. I like it. Do you? I think it's very nice, I think it suits you. Yes. I think it's, it's got a little bit of the Gary Barlow about it. Although I noticed last night on X Factor, he'd shaved it off. Oh, has he? Yeah, he looked much better with the beard. Yeah. So I think it, this is, this is definitely your look. I look better with a beard than, than one might assume. But I'm going to get a big bushy, I want a big cat weasel. Why do you want that? I want a big cat weasel. Listen, you must have... I, I think, and I do think that every man that has a beard, I do think they are perverts. I stand by that. Right. Never trust a man totally with a beard. rational. No, no, <laughs> no he said, never trust a man with a beard. I always trust bald people because they've got nothing to hide. That's true. That's true. Really? <laughs> yes, I do. But I think it's criminal if gentlemen who have the ability to, to grow facial hair do not, at different points in their life, grow a beard. I can't uh, grow a beard. Yes, you can. Yeah, I can. You've got the st- I can see the stuff. Yes, I, I can grow a beard, but I don't, because my... It's very strange. It's almost as if, from my sideburns down, yeah. all of the hair that grows underneath my sideburns is bright ginger, and then all the hair that grows above my sideburns up is kind of blondy mousy It's, it's a dirty blonde. Yeah. So when I You're did once blonde. try to grow a beard, yeah. I looked like the late uh, uh, Robin Cook. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Honestly, it was a good look. Are there any photographs of this? Uh, no, yes. I think I, I, well, I, I would hope they've all been destroyed. <laughs> You're actually blushing. Oh, no, it was terrible. It was a really bad look. And, you know, and, I, and I carried on kind of blissfully thinking people were wrong to yeah. ridicule. And then I saw a picture yeah, and I thought... Yeah. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. It's really awful. Because it does look like my, my head has kind of got, the, you know, the bottom half of someone else's face. 
Do you, know what, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? But yours looks really nice. I'm going to keep it for... I'll get bored of it in two weeks and it'll go. I just, I just, I just like to do it every now and then. But no. I do want a big bushy cat weasel. No, don't grow a big bushy one. I, get, I, want, a, I want bits of food, bits of cheese stuck in Like it. David Ooh. Bellamy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll emerge. <laughs> there, are, there are children listening to this going, why is that man doing that silly voice? Trust me, in 1984, that was a hot impression. Yeah, it was. That That's was a, a hot impression. a good impression by David Bellamy, isn't He'll it? be doing Frank Spencer later on. Yeah. What's... Co- <laughs> Coming up on this morning's big phone, and we're we're continuing the discussion you've been having this morning. Yes, um, and I've been talking about this all weekend. I don't know whether you have. I've been everybody I've been t- speaking to mm. has, in effect, been having this discussion this weekend, which is why from nine this morning I want to uh, gauge people's views on this. How much sympathy do you have for the Australian DJs? Um, I've just been watching a little bit of the the interview upstairs yes. before I came down, Ian, and the two of them mm. look absolutely. Shattered, yeah. absolutely heartbroken. They're quite, they're quite young, aren't they? They're only young. They are young. Um, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that prank call, it, it wasn't even a good prank call. No. You were saying earlier you used to do prank calls. Yes. I used to do prank calls as well. And I would like to think they were quite creative yeah. and, and quite funny. This prank call, it was just... It was rubbish. It was just pointless, yeah. wasn't it? It was just... But were they just being silly they were trying to be a bit edgy they were trying to engage with their with their young audience who would have thought oh yeah they're really funny they managed to get through to mm. to, to the hospital where kate middleton is did they really did those two djs really think oh yeah we'll do this and the end result will be a nurse ending her life mm. would they no they didn't they didn't have that kind of thought process so do you have sympathy for them because of what they're going through now and the fact that they must feel terribly guilty they must feel as if they are responsible for what happened or perhaps you don't have any sympathy for them whatsoever you think they brought it all on themselves your views at nine please on the big phone we've had a mixed reaction i, I find it fascinating because the the, the the twitter you know some people on twitter are calling them murderers over the weekend i just think it, it, it's it was a prank it wasn't very funny uh, it was silly you shouldn't have found a hospital that was ridiculous but the, the, they can't but i do feel sorry for them they're now public enemy number one but the fact is they it wasn't even as if they did it themselves without telling anyone at the radio station, yep. was it? Yep. You know, it was seemingly it would have gone through producers, the management listened to it, mm. the, the lawyers for the radio station. So if everybody around those two DJs said, oh, yeah, it's really funny, we'll play that out on the, on the breakfast show, oh, yeah, that would be really good, yeah. then is it really fair that these two are suddenly on the front page of all the papers as, as being responsible mm. for the fact that this, this poor nurse ended her life? I'd love this uh, this discussion to continue yes. from nine. If you want to get me, uh, give me a call this morning. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. How much sympathy do you have for the Australian DJs, Jonathan? I should be listening. Thank you very much. Call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. I suggest you send uh, Jonathan an email. Send, send him an email, jvsshow at uh, bbc.co.uk, and then they'll, 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 they'll know you want to get in touch. Now, did you play the lottery this weekend? Well, you probably didn't, because you, if you're back at work, then I'd guess you didn't. I call it an idiot's tax. But residents in the Farley Hill area of Luton, they're feeling a little like they've hit the jackpot this morning. The area has been awarded £1 million from the big lottery fund. Well, uh, Sarah Betsworth is head of the big lottery fund for the Eastern Region. Well, is it Sarah or Sarah? It's Sarah. It is Sarah. Thank you. Sarah, there, there, there must be loads of places in need of money. How do you decide who gets it and where it goes? 
Well, we give money away in a lot of different, um, there's a lot, lots of different routes um, through which we can give money. And this is um, one very special one where we actually award money to a particular area through Big Local. But we've got many other programmes where people can actually apply to us directly for things that they want to do. And who decides, so who's got this money? So basically, um, there are 150 communities up and down the country, we've announced the last 50 today, um, who will be awarded up to a million pounds to be spent over 10 years, and local residents will decide how the money's spent. So someone will be going in to work with them to, to establish what their priorities so, are. So I'm trying to get my head around this. So the people in, uh, I think it's a cracking idea, by the way, the people <laughs> in, in, in Farley Hill, so the, the, is it with the council? Is it with the, the MP, this, this, this big fact check, and then they kind of go out and, and talk to the residents? How does it work? No, I think this is the thing that people really struggle to get their minds around, really. It's not about the local Because I don't mind, I don't mind keeping it, listen, sorry, <laughs> I don't mind keeping it in my bank account until they want to use it. I'm happy to do that for them. That's awfully generous of you, Ian. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I think you might have to join the queue. Uh, it's like that, is um, it? But the idea is really about it's an area where we haven't been getting applications, where we haven't been able to put money in through people applying to us. And what we're keen to do is to be able to um, encourage local people to come up with their own ideas to kind of build their confidence in being able to decide what they think is needed in the local area. So they could, for example, could if they wanted to get like CCTV cameras and streetlights, could they get that? We, we don't fund things that are supposed to be paid for by the, right. um, by the council, by statutory funding. Okay. So, but apart from that, it's a very much a kind of an open book in terms of what they think is important. They might think that older people in the area need somewhere to go and meet and have a cup of coffee in the warm, or they might think that perhaps um, children want somewhere to play after school. It, it can be a, a real variety of things. We try not to limit people's imagination, really, but we will try and inspire them with some examples of how other areas have used their money. Uh, well, give us a couple of examples, then. How other, uh, other areas... I can't even say it this morning. How have <laughs> other areas used their money? Well, the example that we're, we're using um, this morning is um, North West Ipswich. Mm. Um, they had some, some money in the last round, and they've been working together to pull together their local plan because they need to consult local people and make sure that the people who had taken the decisions are actually representative of the local community. But they've been, um, they're intending to work with parents to develop their parenting skills to support their children better. They're looking at tackling isolation amongst older people um, and general kind of community activity and engagement that can bring people out from their houses and to meet one another. Sarah? Yes. Do you play the lottery? I do. <gasps> do you? I do. Have you ever won anything? I probably have won about £10 in about 10 years, oh, I would think. Oh, man but alive. <laughs> but only I play a very small amount, and it gives me some... At least I, I'm lucky enough, I guess, to see where, where the money does go when a certain amount of it goes to good causes. There was, uh, uh, um, I think, £64 million or something that wasn't claimed from someone in, our, in a, the Beds, Hearts and Bucks region last week. Yeah. Do, do you know where that money goes to? Does it go, just go into a big pot that then gets dished out to charities, or I what happens? Think, I think it does. I mean, we aren't actually the lottery. No, we're, we're, of course. We're part that an arm that um, the government gives us the money to give away, but I believe it gets put back in, basically. So it will, some, so it will be put to some good use, at least. Sarah, listen, it's a cracking idea. Congratulations. Uh, Sarah Betsworth, head of the big lottery fund for the Eastern region, um, and Farley Hill, the Farley Hill area of Luton, you're getting a million pounds. Man alive. What would you do with that? I can certainly think what I'd like to do. A lot of fun things. Um, back to these DJs. Uh, some texts. Mark in Bedford. Please stop saying this was unforeseeable. It was only unforeseeable because the radio station didn't ask the nurse's permission to broadcast. If they had had asked any, if they had have asked any right-minded person, if oh, for goodness sakes, if you can I ask, please, 
grammar just that makes it easier i'll read it as it's written and you can fill in the blanks if they had asked any right mind person if wanted to be mocked globally they would say no let alone someone who was clearly vulnerable well you say clearly vulnerable mark phil uh, says those djs from australia should try doing grown-up comedy what they did was schoolboy humor they need to grow because they are juvenile Philip and Whitchurch. Ian, I feel sorry for them in a way, but our media are partly to blame as well for publishing the info in the first place. Had that been the BBC, the DG would have gone by now. And Jason says, Ian, it was just a prank, but as it went tragically wrong, the Aussie DJs must bear some responsibility for the outcome of their actions. Perhaps trying to access a closed ward, knowing there would be tight security, should have caused them to think harder and look to alternatives to entertain their audiences. Well, you can carry on talking about this. We're here for another half an hour, 08459 455 555. Uh, or you can speak to Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who is, uh, is carrying on asking how much sympathy do you have for the Australian teachers. If you want to get in touch with Jonathan, uh, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. And I should mention, go to the Facebook page uh, because there is an interesting picture up there. We've been talking about the disabled parking uh, in hospitals and uh, uh, Tony Fisher has been uh, doing some excellent um, vox pops and recording and information about, about this. He's also taken a picture of the uh, parking bay um, with lots of disabled parking bays and things like that. It's the worst pic, one of the worst pictures I've ever seen in my life. It's like my mum took it, right? And she can't see very well. Go and have a look at it and see if you can spot the flaw in our reporter Tony Fisher's photograph. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Go and have a look and, and do feel free to leave rude comments underneath that picture. This is the one time I'll condone rude comments. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. the last 30 minutes of the show hasn't it flown by this morning coming up in the last half an hour if you're unemployed you could be getting free bus travel to help you find a job find out how in the next few minutes and did you see strictly come dancing this weekend i had the misfortune of actually catching some of that tosh well well no steady on well our eight-year-old layla will come on and, and fill in the blanks and just try and tell me what on earth is so good about it now, more than 800,000 unemployed people are to get free bus travel in January to help them find jobs. Those who've been out of work for between three months and a year will be eligible for the Britain-wide scheme, which has been organised by a coalition of transport bodies. They'll need to hold a Job Centre Plus travel discount card, which already entitles them to half-price journeys. Arriva, First, Go Ahead, National Express and Stagecoach are among the operators signed up to the deal, which covers 70% of routes in England, Wales and Scotland. Well, Martin Dean joins me now. He's a spokesman for Green journeys which is behind the scheme morning martin hi morning how is this going to work so basically if you um if you go along to a job center and you speak to your um to your job center advisor if you've been unemployed for three months or longer mm. um you're entitled to a job center plus travel discount card um that's a sort of credit card size format card with your photo id on it and if you um if you're entitled to that you get the card then you just show the card to the bus driver and you can travel on the bus for free why is it important do you think for unemployed people to get free travel um, we did some research this year, and what it does show is that um, employers and employees um, find access to 
to, to bus services is really, really important. Um, it was very, very clear that uh, employers think that um, a really good best bus network is absolutely essential to to, to help people to, to get to work. So, um, so we thought we'd make a, a try and make a contribution just to to help those people that maybe been been unemployed for a little bit longer. Is there a limit to the amount of bus journeys you can make? No, no limit at all. So, okay. in the month of January, you can travel on any bus um, that you want. You don't have to come. You don't have to show a, a letter or anything like that to show you're going for an interview. It's just to you can travel on a bus uh, unlimited travel. Because there are some people who might suggest that um, perhaps the unemployed people might take advantage of this and use this to pop down to the January sales and pop off to the pub and things like that. Is, is that not a concern? Well, it's possible, but it's not really a concern that the most important thing is it just helps people to get around a bit more. Obviously, if you've been unemployed, it may be that you're finding it difficult to get around. And it's not just maybe for interviews. It may be that you'd want to, to use it just to see what there is out there in terms of uh, employment locations, how easy it is to get by bus from uh, from where you live to various places. So so we hope that people will use it for all sorts of uh, purposes. The government has been, it's been suggested this week they're considering uh, means testing bus travel for older people. Do you think that the unemployed people are more of a priority than the elderly? Um, well, I mean, it's it's really government policy. I mean, we we obviously have to be part of the, uh, the the older people scheme. We're absolutely delighted to be part of that to help people to get around. Um, I mean, I think we um, we do think that uh, that people that are, un- are unemployed are a priority. Um, and as I say, we hope that this this will contribute in some way to help them to to get to work. Where's the money for this coming from? Well, we're taking the risk on it. Um, so obviously if people were going to make a bus journey anyway and then they're getting it for free, then that's our risk. But what we're hoping is that people, even if that is the case, um, if they're successful at a job interview, um, then they'll find the, that travelling by bus has been a, a good experience and mm. then they'll travel on the bus every day if they, if they get a job. I do. I love the bus. And if, if, when I'm at home, if, if I, uh, it's kind of a little bit, obviously a little bit slower than me jumping in my car and stuff like that. But if I, if I can afford the time, I always jump on the bus. Mm. Do, you, that, uh, do you, Martin, like me, on the top of a double-decker bus, do you like to sit at the front and pretend you're the driver? Do you never do that? Do you never do that? I do do it sometimes. There yeah, yeah. we go, you see, Martin. Uh, and so the, the, this scheme is, is just for the month of January. Is this a, a pilot? If it goes well, are you considering doing it I think it, it is something we, we might consider. Yeah, it's, as you say, it's just for the month of January, but um, every time someone gets on a bus, um, the driver will press a button, so we'll know how many people have taken it up. Okay. We'll, we'll speak to the job centres and see how successful they think it's been, so we'll review it at the end of the month and see where we take it from there. Brilliant. Martin Dean uh, from uh, Greener Journeys, thank you very much for coming Thank in. you. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. I do. I do do that. I'm nearly 40. I'm glad Martin admitted that. I think, I think people do. I sit on a double-decker bus. If I can get the front seat, I like to sit at the front at the top and pretend I'm the, I pretend I'm the bus driver. Who, who wouldn't do that? Who wouldn't? go to our Strictly uh, correspondent, Layla Hart. Good morning, Layla. Good morning. Layla, do you ever sit at the front at the top of a double-decker bus and pretend you're the bus driver? Yeah. Yeah, you see! How old are you, Layla? Eight. There we go, you see. I'm, I'm, I'm acting as though I'm at your... You won't, you, you won't remember this at all, but when I, was, when I was about your age, Layla, the upstairs of double-decker buses were for... Um, it was smoking. So old men and, and women would go up on the top of a double-decker bus and smoke cigarettes. Can you imagine that? <laughs> no. On a bus, smoking a cigarette. Ugh! Disgusting. <laughs> Did you watch Strictly Come Dancing this weekend? Yes. 
I watched a bit of it. My wife tricked me into watching a bit of it by cooking me dinner. And I was watching, no, and I was watching Breaking Bad uh, on Netflix. And she came in and she went, oh, oh, no, you watch this if you want. I said, no, no, what do you want to watch? She went, Strictly's on. We watched it, Layla. I don't get what the attraction is. Can you tell me why you like Strictly so much? Because it includes lots of dancing, and I like dancing, and there's lots of pretty dresses, too. There's lo- well, there is a lot of dancing, I'll give you that. There are dresses, I don't know if they're pretty, they're pretty ones, but also, the men, the men wear very strange clothes, don't they? Yeah. Do you like the men's clothes? We have. Well, imagine, right, imagine if I um, came down to your street and came round your house for a cup of tea... And I was dressed in a string vest, tight, sparkly trousers, and had a bandana on or something. Would you not think I was a bit silly? <laughs> yeah. You're la- you, I hope you're laughing. Are you being sick or laughing? Laughing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I was going to... I was worried there. I thought we were going to have to go and do the Heimlich manoeuvre over the radio. It's always a tricky thing. But you would think I would look silly. You wouldn't want me sitting in your house, would you? Yeah. Yeah, you see. Uh, okay, I did see a bit of it. I saw the um, the girl from Girls Aloud. She got maximum points, didn't she? Yeah. Is it just because she went from smiling to pouting to smiling again? Uh, no, because she got her steps right and the judges liked her. Even the grumpy posh one, um, Craig. Craig. He liked it, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, I tell you the one I, I tell you the one I don't like, Layla. Bruno. <gasps> Whoa. Italian. Oh, you know he's Italian. I'm not being racist. I, I, I do like some Italian people, although I'm, I can't think of any at the moment. But the reason I don't like him is because he'll start. Okay, so you, you be you be Bruce Forsyth, Layla, and you ask me what I thought about Tracy Beaker. Go on. What do you think about Tracy Rita? I thought it was magnificent! I thought it was marvellous! I thought it was the most amazing! And he starts banging the table, and he stands up, and he's shouting, and you think, oh, for God's sakes, man, just calm down! It's just Tracy Beaker doing a dance. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was amazing! I thought it was, ma- I thought it was the most amazing dance I've ever seen! <laughs> just calm, calm down. Please, calm down, Bruno. There's no need for... Th- Is that his name, Bruno? Have I got his name right? Okay, who was your favourite this week, Layla? Tracy is called Danny. Sorry? Tracy Beaker is called Danny. She, she, well, that's what she might claim she's called, but she'll always be Tracy Beaker in my book. The Tracy Beaker book. Well, who was your favourite this week, Layla? Um, probably Kimberly and Pasha. And who was your least fa- Who Who went this week? I didn't see who went. Um, uh, it was Nikki and Karen. Nikki, bo- Nikki Boy, uh, no, Nikki Westlife. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. You're going to be watching it till the end. Are you? Did you watch any of the X Factor this weekend? No. Ha ha ha! In your face, Layla. Could you do me a favour? Could you laugh and then say, "In your face, Simon Cowell." <laughs> In your face, Simon Cowell. <laughs> Layla, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five, five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. She was good, wasn't she? That was Layla, really sticking it to Cal, huh? She didn't, Cal. She's your target audience. She's watching us. She's watching the Beeb. You've blown it, fella. You've absolutely 
blown it. Uh, this morning we've been discussing free hospital parking for disabled people. 37 NHS trusts, including the Lutable, Luton, uh, Lutable, Luton and Dunstable and the Lister in Stevenage, charge disabled drivers regardless of where they park. Well, disability rights lawyer Chris Fry says they could be in breach of the law. Sue Groves is making a claim against her local hospital. Morning, Sue. Morning. What does your claim involve? My claim is about the fact that I didn't see any consultation before they changed the policy. Um, it, it doesn't take into account the fact that it could take longer to get in and out of the hospital. It doesn't take into account the fact that, as a wheelchair user myself, I don't have the choice to use public transport because it's not that accessible. There aren't many accessible um, wheelchair accessible taxis in the Medway towns. There are a lot of people that use the hospital that come from quite far afield and the, and the links are not good. So that what I, what I just feel that there is, a, there is a public sector equality duty that they should follow, which involves looking at um, all the circumstances surrounding these things and the equality impacts and the, the impacts on certain people. And I don't think that they've done that. What do you want to see happen, Sue? I want them to, 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 to see a full consultation take place and, and, and the policy be really thought through. And what would your ideal outcome of that be? Free parking? No, I'm not looking for free parking. I, you know, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind concessions, whatever the consultation comes up, but it needs to be a full and, 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 and proper equality impact assessment and proper proper assessment of the situation and the impact on various people. The hospitals are just saying that it's, it, it's treating people equally and therefore fairer but actually um, under the under legislation and equality isn't about um, treating people equally as such. What it's actually about is, is levelling the playing field and what it, looking at the fact that there are barriers to, to people doing certain things and it's looking at how policies interact with that to, to mitigate those barriers. Equality isn't about treating people equally. It's, giving to, it's about giving people equal opportunity. And in some cases, by doing, it, by doing it, by treating people equally, you're actually debarring some people from doing things. So, I, I'm, I, this is the first time I've heard that concept. So, d- d- to be equal, you have to be given an advantage? Not always. Not always. I'm not saying I have to be given an advantage, but there are circumstances where thing, things um, affect us. It's, it's rather mm. like... Um, you know, you want to use a bus. Yeah. You, you can't use a bus because there's no ramp. Mm. So provision of a ramp, you know, that, 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 that helps me use the bus. Do you see what I mean? It's I about d- taking away the barriers that exist. I do see what you mean. So thank you very much for your time. Okay. There we go. Sue Groves uh, there, who is making a claim against her local hospital. Well, what do you think? We've got 15 minutes. Uh, I'm just trying to get my head around the concept. I think I get it. Of Equality doesn't mean necessarily being equal. A little bit more complicated than that. I think I get it. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it, but I think I get it. Jonathan <laughs> Vernon Smith, back this morning from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. This morning, Jonathan is asking, how much sympathy do you have for the two Australian DJs? Now, on Friday, we told you that the rules surrounding the way in which people are uh, allocated uh, council houses in St Albans has changed. One new policy makes it more difficult for tenants to get bigger properties. Anthony Wildman lives with his wife, Abby, and their five-month-old baby in a one-bedroom house. They've been told they are now not eligible for a bigger property until their child is two years old. They say the house is so small, it's causing damp and making the baby ill. 
Anthony is now suffering depression and they feel their marriage is being strained. Our reporter, Victoria Cook, went to see their house. So we're in the bathroom now. Yeah, this is in the bathroom. You're showing me the main window. Yeah, and obviously you can see all this mould there, and in the corner there. And this is like a day and a half old. So this has actually been cleaned... This was cleaned the day before yesterday. Actually, as I look up at the ceiling, the, there's water droplets coming from the ceiling. Yeah. And is that because someone's just had a shower in I, ha- I had a bath at two o'clock. And, and it's and half past five in the afternoon. Yeah. And there's still, like, so now there's, the window is open, the jar. We can't leave it much more than that because it has to be freezing. And I suppose this moisture from here is going into the house as well. Yeah, exactly. You can feel the dampness even more up here, can't you? Yeah. So this um, is your room. This is the bedroom. Oh, the bedroom. Uh, yeah. The bedroom. So um, average size, yeah. not a bad size at all for a no. double bedroom. Yeah. I'd say most people would be kind of happy with that. Yeah, but definitely. there's a large corner being taken up by the cot. Yeah. And again, same thing in here. More black mould in the More corner of your bedroom. Mold. And it runs all along the top of that wall and potentially above her cot. It's just not enough living space and it's all created by three people breathing and living here. Well, we posted the pictures of Anthony's house on Facebook. And many of you had your... So I'm going to cough in a second. I'm warning you now. <clears throat> there's a frog in my throat and it wants to come out. Many of you had your say about whether you thought the council should move them. One of the people that posted a comment was Chris White. He's a St Albans councillor and got, has been in touch with Anthony. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. We've also got Anthony online too. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. You were busy on Facebook, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Good for oh, you. Well done. Well, Chris, you've been talking to Anthony about this case. What do you think? I think uh, it, it does reflect uh, something that you've covered on your uh, radio station before, which is the... Uh, the, the essential indifference of uh, Norman's District Council when it comes to, to housing matters. I mean, they, uh, it, it's not the first time that uh, I've come across a, a situation in which uh, someone is suffering damp. And y- y- you would imagine that uh, it, it, it's a minor matter. If you've got a, a growing kid and uh, your, your accommodation is damp, that's a serious matter and, and not something that can be brushed under the carpet, which is what the, the council seems to have done. So what can be done to help Anthony? His concern was that the, the rules had changed, the goalposts had moved slightly, and that, that he, he wouldn't be able to get a bigger property with another bedroom, until, or at least apply for one, until his daughter was two. Is there anything that can be done about that? It's difficult to say at the moment. Uh, Anthony's wife has uh, kindly emailed me uh, the fact of the case, uh, and I'll be uh, taking this up with the District Council today. Uh, I think there's also potentially a, a national issue uh, as to what the guidelines now are. Uh, and, uh, you know, subject to, to Anthony's uh, formal consent, I, I'm going to put the case in front of uh, a, a local government minister and say, look, uh, this is actually what it feels like on the ground. Do you realise how serious housing issues are, even in supposedly affluent areas like St Albans? Uh, something's got to be done to make sure that people are properly housed and they can bring up their kids in accommodation which is worthy of the name. Uh, uh, Chris, th- there are some people who might say, well, listen, St Albans, very, very nice place. I wouldn't mind living there. Why doesn't he move to Luton or somewhere that perhaps is classed as not being quite as, uh, as swanky as St Albans? Frankly, I-, I don't actually think it makes much difference in broad terms which area you're in. Uh, housing problems are uh, endemic in the, the greater southeast. There aren't enough uh, houses around. Uh, not enough is being built. Uh, and, and that's something that's, that, that's got to be done. But uh, it, it's all very well saying, why not move? But uh, people have got jobs, uh, people have got roots. Uh, it, it's not as easy as it sounds. Well, roots, roots are all well and good, but, but it's cheaper, isn't it, in Luton? You get a bigger property, much cheaper. Is it just a case of... of uh, Anthony, can I ask, is it just a case of you not wanting to move out of posh St Albans? No, no, it's not. In. Um, you know, I don't know where, where you get this theory of 
it's being cheaper in, in Luton, cheaper in Penwood, etc. Even if you rent privately, Luton, Luton, is count- che- Luton is cheaper than St Albans. What on private on the council rent? Yeah. Well, it's not that much cheaper. Not if you've got uh, well, to work in. If you drive to work and live in London, to London County, yeah. You're not going to save any money, are you? Well, no, but you you, you just tried to say that I was giving you a wrong fact, and I wasn't. It is cheaper in Luton than it is in St Albans. To the best of my knowledge, I didn't think it was. Uh, And if I'm wrong and you're right, then I apologise for that fact. But you're not going to save any money long-term because I've got to drive to work, so it's going to have wear and tear on the car. I'm going to have to But it's not about about saving you money. It's about you finding a place that... I'm just playing devil's advocate, Anthony. I know know you're up for it. Can I just say something as well, Ian? Yes. Actually, how am I going to move from one borough to another when they don't do that anyway? Well, I don't know, but you... But you if well, the no, option, you, you said, you no. said I've got to move to... I didn't say... Luton. Anthony, I didn't you say you've got to I'm move. You said I'm going to move to Luton or something like that, yeah? I didn't say you've got uh, to move, Anthony. The, the, the boroughs don't move okay. from borough to borough. Supposing the option came up to move to Luton and a bigger property, would you consider it? If it was a nice area and the, and the crime rate wasn't... Well, a nice area. You, you, this is it. You can't, you can't pick and choose. There are some people well, okay, who would say... So, Okay, so I'll move my daughter to, a, to an area that's high in crime rate and the education's poor. I'd be a great father for doing that, wouldn't I? Well, y- y- there are compromises in everywhere. L- what I'm saying is, uh, Anthony, what I'm saying is, Anthony, there are lots of people who got in touch and said, well, hang on a second, St Albans? I wouldn't mind a place in St Albans. I can't afford to live there. And it's very nice there. Yeah, it is very nice there. Which is why I want to live here. Well, of course it is, but you saying, don't. You don't always. We don't move. always. We don't always have the option of where we want to live in life. We have to go where we can afford. Yeah, I, I do understand. I want to live saying, in yeah. Highgate. I want to live in Highgate in North London. Oh man, I want to live there. I can't houses there are one and a half, two million quid. Can't afford it. No, of course you can't. But you'd like to, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd like to, but I can't afford well, it. So why I'd should like you stay? Yeah, but you can't afford it. So why should you stay there? I didn't say I couldn't afford it. When did I say I couldn't afford it? Well, you can afford it because it's being subsidised for you. If you want a bigger place, if you want a bigger the, the place, rent then... Subsidy, the rent subsidy from, from the council or any social housing is 20%. Yeah. That's all you get off you know, Right. OK? Yeah. But um, if you went somewhere cheaper... It'd still be 20%. Yeah, exactly, but the rent would be cheaper, so you'd be paying less money. That's basic maths. Well, yeah, I mean, we can discuss this all day. The issue I'm, I was discussing... Well, we, we obviously is, can't, because you're moving no. on, so... <laughs> The issue is yes. that we were given four weeks' notice here. Right? When legislation's generally come in, you, you get at least like a year's notice, etc., etc., to get your time to adjust yourself to it. That hasn't happened. We've had no communication from the council. We're living in, people say, one bedroom house. It's a cluster home here. It's a one up, one down. It's not a one bedroom house with a front garden, a back garden. I suggest people look at the photos on Facebook and see the size of pops we live in. Chris, I do appreciate what you're saying. I don't listen, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate, Anthony. And I know you, are, like you I know, know you'd you expect yeah. from me. Uh, and I know you can look after yourself, that's why I'm doing it with you. Chris, um, what, what, could, what happens next in, in, in Anthony's case? Well, what happens next is I, is I will make my inquiries and see what the, the council's got to say. But uh, I, I do have to emphasise how difficult it is to get any sort of accommodation in, in this part of the world. Mm. Uh, you know, to live in purely private accommodation. You've got to have an income of 30 grand a year. We, we can't build communities if everyone in St Albans, uh, if they're going to live here, is on 30 grand a year plus. And we have to have uh, communities in which you have people of all incomes uh, living together, working together. Otherwise, St Albans becomes a sort of wealthy dormitory uh, with no one to do the basic jobs that we all need. 
Chris, will, will you have um, had this conversation by the end of the week? Oh, I hope to have uh, a conversation with the with the councillors earlier today. Can we got... can we speak to you later on in the week and see what see Absolutely. how this goes? We're going to follow this. Anthony, do you mind if we follow this? And is that okay? No, of course. It's and I appreciate you being a good sport. No worries, Ian. No Much worries. appreciated. No. Thank you very much indeed. Well, there you go. If you if you want to speak to Anthony, no doubt he'll be. Uh, uh, traipsing around on our Facebook page later on today. It was, it was, it was cracking. I think it's the first time we've had that on Three Counties, where one of the guests has gone on to Facebook and defended himself robustly. That's why I was giving him a hard time, because I knew that he could, um, defend himself robustly. Uh, very quickly. Daryl, we've got about 20 seconds. What do you think? Should disabled people get free parking in hospitals? I think everybody should in hospitals, but what I was saying to your guy is that why don't they do they do in supermarkets and validate the parking? If you're going in there for a valid cause, go in there, once you've done your, what, your, your appointment or whatever, get your ticket validated and leave. Daryl, sorry to cut you short, we're out of time, but thank you, you got your point in, and that's the important thing. Phew! Well, we crammed a lot in, didn't we? And I think we got away with it on the Monday morning. Back tomorrow... Uh, at six. Right, I forgot what time we started there for a second. That was awful. Do stick around. Jonathan Vernon-Smith is up next. Always worth a listen. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.